Okay. I call this meeting to order at 5.08 p.m. Clerk, can you please take a roll call for attendance? Um, on the call of the roll, Commissioner Wong? Present. Commissioner Wong, present. Uh, Commissioner Adair? Um, present. Commissioner Adair, present. Uh, Commissioner Loftus? Present. Commissioner Loftus, present. Commissioner Miller? Present. Commissioner Miller, present. Officer Lasana? Present. Officer Lasana, present. Commissioner Nish? Commissioner Anish present. Uh, Officer Utting? Present. Officer Utting present. Uh, Commissioner Colleen? Present. Commissioner Colleen present. Commissioner Pimentel? Present. Commissioner Pimentel present. Uh, Vice Chair Barker Plummer? Present. Vice Chair Barker Plummer present. Uh, Officer Hum? Present. Officer Hum present. Officer Shaw? Okay. Uh, Commissioner, Commissioner M? Present. Commissioner M. Present. Uh, Commissioner Hillman? Present. Commissioner Hillman, present. Chair Wynn? Present. Chair Wynn, present. Um, Officer Shaw? <coughs> Am I missing anyone? Okay. So, Chair, you have 14 present. You have quorum. Great. So, it looks like the. Oh. Um, Officer okay. Shaw is present. Yes. Thank you. Um, it looks like no one is absent. Okay. Moving on. Clerk, can you please call item number two? Um, item number two is communications. The minutes will reflect that the full youth commission participated in this meeting in person in room 416. Um, with remote access for public comment and discussion. The commission recognizes that public access to city services is essential and invites the public participation in the following ways. First, public comment will be available on each item on this agenda. Com comments or opportunities to speak during public comment period are available in person by forming a line behind the podium or via phone call by calling 415-655-0001, meeting ID 2499 047395, then pound and then pound again, or you can join us via online through the WebEx system. When connected, you will hear the meeting discussions, but you'll be muted and in listening mode only. When your item of interest comes up, please dial star three to be added to the speaker line. If you've called in or if you're joining us via WebEx, you may also raise your hand in the app. Alternatively, you may submit public comment in writing either of the following ways, email them to the Youth Commission at youthcom.sfgov.org. If you submit public comment via email, it will be forwarded to the commissioners and will be included as part of the official file. You may also send your written comments via U.S. Postal Service to our office in City Hall at 1 Dr. Carlton B. Goodlett Place, um, room 345, San Francisco, California, 94102. Those attending the meeting in person will have the opportunity to speak in public comment first before remote access. That concludes my communications. Great, thank you. Clerk, can you please call item number three? Item number three is approval of the agenda. Okay, so commissioners, please take this time to look over today's agenda. As a reminder, there's an expectation that everyone looks at the agenda in the minutes prior to the meeting, and I'll accept any motions when y'all are ready. Motion to approve. Today's agenda. Seconded, Commissioner Utting. Commissioner Collin, motions to approve today's agenda. Seconded by Commissioner Utting. Is there any public comment on this motion? Uh, Chair, you have no public comment. 
Great, thank you. Can I please take a roll call vote on that motion? Um, on that motion, Commissioner Wong? Aye. Commissioner Wong, <coughs> aye. Commissioner Adair? Aye. Commissioner Adair, aye. Uh, Commissioner Loftus? Aye. Commissioner Loftus, aye. Uh, Commissioner Miller? Aye. Commissioner Miller, aye. Officer Lasana? Aye. Officer Lasana, aye. Uh, Commissioner Anish? Aye. Commissioner Anish, aye. Officer Udding? Aye. Officer Udding, aye. Uh, Commissioner Colleen? Aye. Commissioner Colleen, aye. Commissioner Pimentel? Aye. Commissioner Pimentel, aye. Vice Chair Barker Plummer? Aye. Vice Chair Barker Plummer, aye. Officer Hum? Aye. Officer Hum, aye. Officer Shaw? Aye. Officer Shaw, aye. Commissioner M? Aye. Commissioner M, aye. Uh, Commissioner Hillman? Aye. Commissioner Hillman, aye. And then Chair Wynn? Aye. Chair Wynn, aye. Chair, you have uh, 15 ayes. Um, the agenda passes. Great, thank you. Clerk, can you please call item number four? Item number four is approval of the minutes of the January 17th, uh, 2023 uh, meeting. Commissioners, please take this time to look over the minutes from the January 17th meeting and I'll accept any motions when y'all are ready. Motion to approve the minutes of the January 17th meeting. Second, Commissioner Wong. Uh, Commissioner Adair, motions to approve t the minutes from the January 17th meeting, seconded by Commissioner Wong. Um, is there any public comment on this motion? If members would like to speak and have not done so already, please form a line behind the podium or press star three to raise your hand in the WebEx app. There's no public comment. Great, thank you. Um, can you please take a roll call vote on that motion? Um, on that motion, Commissioner Wong? Aye. Commissioner Wong, aye. Commissioner Adair? Aye. Commissioner Adair, aye. Commissioner Loftus? Aye. Commissioner Loftus, aye. Commissioner Miller? Aye. Commissioner Miller, aye. Officer Listana? Aye. Officer Listana, aye. Commissioner Anish? Aye. Commissioner Anish, aye. Uh, Officer Utting? Aye. Officer Utting, aye. Commissioner Colleen? Aye. Commissioner Colleen, aye. Uh, Commissioner Pimentel? Aye. Commissioner Pimentel, aye. Vice Chair Barker Plummer? Aye. Vice Chair Barker Plummer, aye. Officer Hum? Aye. Officer Hum, aye. Officer Shaw? Aye. Officer Shaw, aye. Commissioner M? Aye. Commissioner M, aye. Commissioner Hillman? Aye. Commissioner Hillman, aye. And then Chair Wynn? Aye. Chair Wynn, aye. Chair, you have 15 ayes. The motion passes. Great, thank you. Can you please call item number five? Yes, um, number five is general public comment for matters under the jurisdiction of the full youth commission, but not on today's agenda. Members of the public who wish to provide public comment on this matter should start to line up behind the podium and or press star three now. If you're calling in remotely or if you're joining us via the WebEx app, you should raise your hand in the app. Your cue to begin your comments will be you have been unmuted if you've called in or you will hear two beeps, beeps if you join the meeting via WebEx. Madam Chair, there is no public comment. Thank you. Public comment is now closed. C Clerk, can you please call item number six? Item number six is uh, presentations. Um, A, city and county budget process and mayor's budget instructions. Uh, discussion item, presenter uh, Sally Maud, uh, deputy budget director. Great. So uh, thank you so much, Sally, for coming to talk to us today about the mayor's budget. Um, I'll pass it off to you whenever you're ready. And let us know if you need anything from us.
you and good evening everyone. I'm Sally Hall, Deputy Budget Director in the Mayor's Budget Office. I will begin my presentation with an overview of the city's budget, the budget process, and then discuss the city's fiscal outlook and budget instructions the mayor shared with departments in December. I'm going to share my screen. You make your presentation. Um, I don't think this is what I want to do. Please let me know if you need any help. Yes, I will. Thank you. Okay. Um, please let me know if you see my screen with the first slide that shows. Yes. Perfect. Thank you. Um, so today, I'll, this evening, I'll go over the budget overview and process, the fiscal outlook, and budget instructions for departments, starting with the budget overview and process. Uh, the city's adopted budget for the current year, fiscal year 23, is $14 billion. About half of the city's budget is non-general fund made up of sources from enterprise departments as well as other non-general fund departments. So that includes the airport, port, the public utilities and transit, enterprise departments. They generate its own revenue by charging fees for services. The other half of the budget is general fund, which is about $6.8 billion. It is the city's largest fund and it funds many of the basic municipal services, including health and human services, public works, and many others. The total general fund is 6.8 billion, and the primary like revenue sources include local taxes, such as property, business, sales, payroll, and other taxes. Property tax makes up, the, it makes up about almost greater than a third of the general fund revenues, intergovernmental, federal, and state sources makes up about a fifth of the general fund revenues. Of the 6.8 billion general fund, the discretionary general fund is 3.4 billion. Voters adopted various general fund revenue baselines and set-asides, meaning a certain amount of general fund revenue are dedicated to specific spending areas. So this includes the library, children's services, um, the MTA. They're all revenue. There's, uh, there, there's general fund revenue that are dedicated to these specific areas. Um, it, the newest baseline, the Student Success Fund, was adopted by voters um, in November 2022. The remaining general fund budget is the primary focus of my office, the mayor's budget office, and other big major expenditures um, include employee salaries, benefits, and pensions, real estate, maintenance, and capital projects, as well as nonprofit services for residents. The city relies on our nonprofit partners to deliver critical services to people. Um, so. Many factors shape the city budget, including revenue, how much money is available, and that is dependent on local economic performance and revenue projections. And these are especially critical in our current fiscal state of economic recovery. Other factors include labor costs and inflationary pressure that also impacts the availability of source. Who is in charge and what their priorities shape the budget? Um, so the priorities of the mayor, the board of supervisors, and other stakeholders, and their evolving policy priorities and approaches. 
what's happening in D.C. and Sacramento also plays a role. So the state is projecting a $22.5 billion budget shortfall, and that can impact us locally, as well as their policy decisions at state and federal level can also impact the city's budget at our local level. So kind of a quick step, like quick like budget timeline. Um, in the fall, uh, the mayor's budget office, my office, the controller's office, and the board's budget and legislative analysts, we work on updating this, the, the financial forecast. We publish a report called the five-year financial plan that discuss the city's fiscal outlook. Uh, the updated projections inform the mayor's budget instructions. So in December, the, the mayor the mayor released her instructions for to departments for the fiscal year 24 fiscal year 25 budget cycle so after the mayor shares budget instructions in December it's what the city calls department phase of the budget and during this period which is happening right now until later this month departments are developing and preparing their budget submissions then throughout the months of March until June, my team, we review department's budget submissions, we meet with community partners, and we collect budget input and feedback, which all feeds into the mayor's proposed balanced budget um, by charter, balanced budget, uh, which is introduced by June 1. Then throughout the month of June, departments present their budget at the board's budget and appropriations committee. The board makes changes to the mayor's proposed budget. In July, the full board votes on the city's budget and the mayor signs the budget ordinance in August. Then it happens all over again. I'm gonna move on to fiscal outlook and the five-year financial plan. So the city practices two-year budgeting. For this current fiscal, for this current budget cycle, we're focusing on fiscal year 24 and fiscal year 25. The financial forecasts project a $728 million general fund deficit over the upcoming two years. The table shown here on my screen um, kind of gives you the deficit at the time of budget instructions. So this time last year, the city was projecting a $108 million surplus, which the city did not experience since the 90s. So what changed? Um, weakening revenue outlook and loss of one-time sources, which were mostly federal revenue, um, high base wages for employees and growing health benefit costs, increased pension costs due to recent market downturn, as well as new and growing general fund commitments that increase annually. So in the five-year report, um, in the five-year forecast, we assume slow or no growth to in major tax revenues, loss of federal revenues and other one-time sources. It includes the 2022 election measures, which includes uh, the new set-aside for schools, the Student Success Fund. Additionally, it includes uh, salaries and benefits, which currently assumes CPI for open contracts with unions and a 7.2% rate of rate of return for pension investments. Other costs are citywide and departmental costs, such as CPI on non-personnel costs, um, health and human services cost increase, which includes the in-home supportive services program and funding the full 10-year capital plan and other updates. 
Uh, this table here is the five-year financial forecast. So the first two year, fiscal year 24 and fiscal year 25, is the two-year budget that makes up the $728 million deficit. I do want to highlight that the third year only, the deficit is projected to be $745 million. Um, this slide shows selected general fund taxes, and it's compared to the March 22 projections. Uh, for these revenue sources, the latest projection shows a decline in property transfer and business tax and improvement in sales and hotel tax. So property tax, uh, this assumes the valuation of office property is expected to be impacted by permanent increase in remote work that impact office leasing demands and rents as existing leases are up for renewal. Transfer tax is our whenever is the most volatile revenue source and is highly sensitive to economic cycles, interest rates, and other factors affecting real estate investment decisions. Business tax includes the gross receipt tax, business registra registration, the administrative office tax. Uh, projections here assumes changes in telecommuting and population, which will reduce payroll in office using industries, and as well as the tech sector layoff announced by some of the large San Francisco employers makes this business, makes business tax quite uncertain. However, there are improvements in sales and hotel tax, which were significantly impacted in recent years due to the COVID public health emergency. The projection here includes, the, the projection here assumes improvement in this area due to recovery attributable to growth in restaurants, hotels, general consumer goods. Uh, it does this this projection assumes continual but slow recovery in this area. Um, at the same time, it also is it also in it also assumes the elevated prices due to inflation. Uh, this table, this graph here, um, shows the depletion of the one-time sources, which the city. It, which the set with the city balances its budget with one-time sources, uh, which was a excuse me, which was a, a, a in the recent in the recent years the city balances its budget with one-time sources. This includes FEMA federal stimulus funding and fund balance, and the projection the five-year projection assumes that these sources will be depleted by fiscal year 26. On the expenditure end of the five-year report, uh, drivers include salaries and benefits, citywide operating and other program costs. In the, in the most recent budget, the city made significant ongoing wage investment that is reflected in the forecast and healthcare costs continues to exceed inflation. Other major costs includes the new baseline for schools, fully funding the updated 10-year capital plan, paying debt service, health and human services costs, and local housing subsidy programs. Additionally, pension costs increased from our prior projection. Um, the current projection is based on what we know now, and there's a lot of risk and uncertainties that can impact this forecast that we are paying attention to. Uh, the pace of downtown recovery and office vacancies impact revenues, property, business, commercial, sales, and probably others. Uh, the impacts of high inflation and interest rates, continual cutback in tech sector and other local industries. The state budget is projecting a deficit, which 
potentially means that the funding for excess BRAF could be at risk. And lastly, the most concerning is the risk of a recession, which could significantly impact our revenues. So on to policy priorities and department budget instructions. The mayor's priorities remain unchanged. It is recovery of the local economy with focus on downtown and economic core, improving public safety and street conditions, reducing homelessness and transforming mental health service delivery, accountability and equity in service and spending. So with the mayoral policy priorities and the fiscal outlook, uh, due to the projected two-year deficit, departments are instructed to reduce their general fund support by 5% in the first year of the budget in fiscal year 24 and 8% in year two of the budget in fiscal year 25. Currently in the city, there are a lot of vacant positions which impact operation and service delivery. We understand that we need to fill positions in order to deliver services. So despite the fiscal outlook, we're not enacting a hiring freeze. Instead, we're asking departments to prioritize filling or reclassifying vacancies for core departmental functions and mayoral priorities. Then, after doing this exercise to determine which positions are key to core service and functions, then propose the remaining vacant, remaining position, vacant positions for budget savings. We also ask departments to maintain mayoral initiatives and recommend ways to fund more efficiently. And lastly, prepare for the outlook to worsen. This means we may have to return to departments to ask for additional solutions. Um, for this budget cycle, here are some like key dates and deadlines for departments. Um, I'm going to highlight I'm going to highlight the six month and nine month report published by the controller's office, which reviews like current year spending. One thing that's not on this calendar is the update to the five year financial plan in March. It's also known as the March update, which we update the city's financial projections. The mayor will introduce her proposed budget by June 1 and budget hearings in June and the full board votes on the budget uh, in July. Uh, here I'm sharing a few budget resources. Um, the city's budget website, it has all published materials on the budget, including the five-year financial plan report, the mayor's budget instructions, and when departments submit their budget proposal later this month, it will also be posted on this website. The second link is the mayor's budget instructions uh, slide deck that contains some of the slides that I shared with you in my presentation. And the last is the five-year financial plan. It's co-authored by my office, the controller, and the board's BLA, budget and legislative analysts. And it discusses the city's like, fiscal outlook, both revenues and expenditures, discusses the assumptions in more detail. Additionally, it also um, there's also sections about fiscal strategies and citywide initiatives. Uh, thank you. With that, this concludes my presentation. Great. Thank you so much for presenting to us. Um, I'll now open it up to other commissioners who may have questions. Yeah, go ahead. Thank you, and thank you for being here. Um, my only question was um, sort of more general about the budget process. Uh, 
around set-asides. I know um, the most recent one being Prop G and the Youth Commission supported that as legislation before it went, uh, before it was added to the ballot. Um, I'm wondering how that affects the ability of the mayor's office to respond sort of to specific issues um, as they come up per fiscal year and per, um, I suppose, every two years. It seems to me like there's a positive, which makes sure that services are being funded outside of, um, you know, sort of the regular budget system, but it also seems like it might limit the ability of the mayor's office to address current needs um, if they can't, if they control less money in the pot. So I'm wondering what, what your thoughts are on that and the mayor's office's position um, on that. Yeah, um, on like set insights and baselines, like, so we do two-year budgeting, but we do budgets annually. Um, so last year, this time, we were focusing on fiscal year 23 and fiscal year 24, and now we're focusing on fiscal year 24 and fiscal year 25. Um, and we update our, we work with the controller's office and the board's VLA on updating our forecast quite often in the fall, in the spring, uh, and that all informs the budget process. On set and sides and baselines, um, these are voter mandated baselines. So these are areas where there is a debt, where based on, um, it's typically tied to revenue growth. It's depending on, and the controller's office manages like, or like oversees baselines and set asides to make sure that city's budget is complying with those voter mandates. Uh, we've worked with departments to understand the funding for those areas and there, yeah, we, we work with the departments on funding for baselines and what um, the uses are um, to those voter mandated expenditures. Thank you, and that also helps clarify the difference between um, your role as well as the controller's role as well, so I appreciate that. Thank you. Does anyone else have any other questions? I have a question um, yeah. while people are thinking. Um, I know you mentioned that the general fund revenue goes to you know libraries, children's services, the MTA, and more, um, as well as the Student Success Fund. We're currently working on our um, budget priorities as the Youth Commission, and I know that like property tax revenue has been low since um, people haven't been returning to in-person work in downtown, and just like economic activity has been really bad. So um, because of that, like obviously the city is facing a large deficit. So um, if you don't have to answer this if you're not able to, but I was just wondering like what services do you foresee being cut, um, and like what should the Youth Commission be aware of as we work on our budget and policy priorities? That is a really good question. Um, kind of given the city's fiscal outlook, there will be a lot of difficult choices ahead in this budget cycle and in future cycles. As you've seen in that five-year table, at the end of the five-year projection, the fifth year of the budget is currently projected to be $1.2 billion. And that is very much like on my offices and the controller's office is mine others as well. And we're asking departments to submit proposals that are equivalent to 5 and 8% of general fund support reduction. So we'll be working with them to understand what their proposed areas are and what, the protections, what their proposed reductions mean for the department's operation and service delivery. Great. Thank you. 
Um, I have a question kind of tying off of Chair Wynn. Um, so in the addition, because as you mentioned, uh, the role of inflation and the deficit impacting the budget, um, I'm curious to know how and what the role of like community building and community relations in influencing the budget and putting money towards certain services, um, and if the Youth Commission and our advocacy um, can use that to help propel issues that we feel are very important even in spite of um, the deficit and how that looks um, in your office. Yeah, um, throughout, starting from like now through like March, April, my office, we typically meet with a lot of community groups. Um, we hear from them on their budget priorities, gather input from them, um, and we take we, we listen, we take into consideration what their budget inputs are. Uh, we bring that all to, we, we bring that all together and it all informs our budget process. Um, so throughout the next few months we'll be we'll be we'll be meeting with a lot of community groups to gather their inputs and feedback and priority areas um, and we work with them through, and we, we work with them um, over the next few months to, to understand the priorities of, 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 of the, priority, the priorities from, from their point of view on um, what we work with, so yeah, we work with them over the course of the next few months on, on gathering their input and um, incorporating them into our, our, our processes. Got it. Thank um, you. I'll, I'll take a question. So in your presentation, in your presentation, you mentioned the, um, the role of the, the, the mayoral priorities. I guess when drafting and, you know, finalizing these budget and policy priorities, should we be aware of, like, how much, how much sway does the mayor have over this process and how are, are, are issues that were on that list like far more likely to actually see action being taken than maybe priorities that wouldn't be on there? We should, is that something that should be in our considerations, in your opinion? As, so, um, as mentioned, the mayor's, the mayoral priorities um, are recovery of the local economy, in addition to public safety, street conditions, homelessness, and mental health. Recovery of the local economy is key to improving the revenues and fiscal outlook of the city. There are additionally public safety, street conditions, homelessness, and mental health continue to be her priorities. Um, we work collaboratively with departments to understand like their department operations and we work closely with departments to understand as they are more uh, so we work closely with the departments on also understanding of their department submission, and that also touches like other priority areas of uh, other citywide priorities as well. I had a question. Um, aside from Prop G, how does SFUSD get funding from the city? I that's a really good question. I. That is a question that I will encourage the commission to reach out to DCYF to gather more information on. Okay. But I, I do believe the, besides the, um, the student success fund, there are other um, 
funding street funding in in DCYF's budget that goes towards the school district. Thank you. Um, I have one more question, but does anyone else? Yeah, yeah. Does anyone online have any questions? Okay. Um, I, I'll ask my question then. I know you mentioned that um, Prop G was one of the expenditure growths, um, and I was just wondering, like, how how large of a percentage does that make up in regards to like all of the other expenditure growths? Like, I I just want to get like a more general understanding of like how big or small it is in relation to everything else in the budget. That's a that's a good question. Um, I will point I don't know the, the direct like the percentage growth of due to that's specifically due to Prop G. Um, but in the five year financial plan, um, it it the report discussed the new baseline as well as other like expenditure growth. Um, I'm happy to share that report with the commission. Okay, yeah, that would be awesome. Thank you. Um, and does anyone have any quick last final questions before we move on? Um, if not, I want to say thank you again uh, for taking your time to present to us. This was really helpful as we're navigating our own BPP process. Um, and we'll be sure to email you again if we have any other questions. But yeah, thank you so much for your time again. Thank you for having me. Okay, great. Um, is there any public comment on this item of the agenda? Uh, Chair, you have no public comment. Great, thank you. Staff, can you please call item number seven? Yes, item number seven is legislation referred um, A, file number 230026, ordinance amending the planning code to create the family housing opportunity special use district. B, file number 230025, ordinance amending code to extend the grace period for additional 120 days to permit applicants to operate under pandemic shared spaces permits. C, file number 230056, health code overdose prevention programs. And then uh, D, file number 221290, hearing family and newcomer family homelessness for students in SFUSD. Great, thank you. Is Mike Fair on the line? He has logged off, so I suggest maybe another start from. Uh, all of the other ones have presenters, unless anyone else is here. Early. We can start from 7D, probably. I will. We have. Is Robin here? We have the shared spaces director. Uh, oh, hello. Hello. You are up. Oh, we just called her. <laughs> Hi, Mike. How are you? I'm good. Good to see you. Good to see you, too. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming to talk to us today. Um, are you ready to present? Do you need anything on the screen? I don't. Um, may I ask a couple of questions? Have, has everybody read the legislation? Um, some of us may have, some of us may have not. So it would I apologize be if you haven't. If you can, take a look at the legislation. It, in the legislation itself, it's an ordinance. It outlines many of the problems that the city is facing. Um, the fundamental problem that we are trying to solve for with this legislation is that housing is way too expensive in San Francisco. There is not enough housing in San Francisco. The rent is too high in San Francisco. 
And um, I can go into details uh, about it um, if you have any questions. But one of the things that people say is difficult about building housing in San Francisco is the process that they are subject to on developing their housing. Um, there's height restrictions for uh, people that want to develop their uh, housing. There's CU authorizations or conditional use authorizations. There's neighborhood notification and there's discretionary review hearings. And this legislation would eliminate some of those, um, some of that process in uh, a special use uh, district that is, uh, if you'll see, I don't know if it's included or not in the map, there's a map of kind of the western part of San Francisco. Um, this is for, on some lots, four units or less. So it's not uh, something that is, we're legislating for major developers to come to San Francisco. We're hoping that somebody has a lot and they wanna put another um, couple of units instead of a single family home on the lot. And maybe they can give that home to a family member and subdivide the lot and your kids can have a unit and you can stay in the other unit. And that really is the goal uh, for the supervisors to create a space where more families and youth can have uh, a shot at having housing in San Francisco. Um, as, as many of you know, the middle class is, continues to decline in San Francisco. Um, we have not seen a lot of housing production that has happened in San Francisco. And we just passed um, the housing element for the city and county of San Francisco, which is kind of a long-term vision document for where we want to go uh, for developing housing. Um, the Planning Commission will come back to uh, the Board of Supervisors for individual uh, rezoning of certain locations in San Francisco. So we, we're excited about this legislation, and I'm here to answer any questions that you may have about it. Great, thank you. Does anyone have any initial questions to start us off? Um, I'm kind of speed reading this resolution. I apologize, I hadn't read it before. That's okay. Would you say that uh, the changes, uh, the, I don't want to use this word, but like the deregulation of like how many houses you could have in a lot, um, the things that are being removed is mostly aesthetic concerns, environmental concerns, or safety concerns that are the reason that they, these laws are on the books? So when you talk to individual developers, I think that these are, uh, or people that want to put more units on their lot. These are the things that they cite. Um, and sometimes small things are uh, used to appeal uh, these developments, and it costs time, mostly. So these appeals take time, which eventually costs the developer uh, or the person that wants to put a second unit on their lot money. Uh, and it could be regarding the environment. It could be regarding windows. It could be light and air. It could be um, they're not happy with the change in zoning. It may mean they don't like um, more people in their neighborhood. It could be a lot of different reasons that people would file a, a CU or a DR or um, any of the other things that they're uh, filing to slow down development in San Francisco. So kind of just all, all of those? Yeah, I would say uh, these are um, tools that are used by neighborhoods um, to what they call oftentimes is protect neighborhood character, which means stopping more units from being yielded uh, and trying to keep the character of the neighborhood that has existed for a long, long time. Okay, thank you. That's mm -hmm. all. 
Um, I'm wondering if I can ask about how this map was created. My understanding is that this is from the state and a part of the housing element. Um, or Correct. This was filed the with general plan. This was filed a map. This map was filed with the housing element mm -hmm. uh, with the state, and uh, we tried to find um, high resource neighborhoods or. Um, neighborhoods across the city that this would work the best. So that's where it came from. And, you know, um, a lot of times there's been, as you see in the map, there's per certain areas where there has been development and we don't want to necessarily go into those neighborhoods. Some are industrial areas of town and this legislation really would not work in some of those areas. Uh, and as you can see, the supervisor decided to do this in mostly what is her district because she felt she was responsible for um, what it was. It, it also involves um, Supervisor Chan's district and Supervisor Engardio's district. So as you can see, it's a, a little bit of District 2 as well. And yeah. Um, I, I'm just curious, like, do you have estimates of like how many new units this will like ultimately create? We don't. We, uh, we have a lot of hopes and desires that people will use it, but we really don't know uh, how many. I think we want to create the opportunity for people to envision their lots and their housing in a different way. Um, their backyards, if they could put an accessory uh, development unit in the back, uh, then maybe it'll allow them to have a space where they can put their grandmother or their son or somewhere where they can uh, do increased family living. So I don't think it's something that's been prevalent. I don't think it'll be prevalent in the start. I think it's a slow start, but it gives P families a, a tool to be able to um, put housing uh, close to them. Yeah, thank you. And I guess, do you have like a estimate of like, you know, how much like time or like cost savings this would like have on like a project say? Like, is it gonna shave off like a year like from the process or like, I don't know, is there any estimates? We're working on the estimates, but I, I think the most exciting part is that if I had a single family home and I could give my son, Elijah, a piece of that house where I could build a unit for him, then I'm going to change his future uh, in San Francisco or anybody's future. It gives them a shot at holding housing. And the barrier right now is so large uh, to be able to create the down payment and do all the things that you have to do that it, we're hoping that it allows families to do that and keep people. You know, many people leave the San Francisco. They don't stay here because they can't afford it. And then we have situations where they're living in outside communities and commuting into San Francisco, and we don't necessarily want that. We're hoping to have places where people live, work, and find community in the same city. Thank you. Um, just for some you know, additional clarification, um, in the map it showed up there, there is that demarcations between high resource and like highest resource areas. I'm just wondering like what the qualifications for that were? Was it just property values or were there other components? Yeah, I think, the, uh, I'm, I'm not exactly sure how the map was derived, but if you look on the map there, it, the highest resort neighborhoods are very much reflecting property value. You're looking at um, the most expensive parts of uh, Pacific Heights and the most expensive parts of St. Francis Wood. And um, there's other neighborhoods too, you know, City College is, uh, not included in, I don't think, or not City College, but um, San Francisco State is a clear demarcation there where they're not included, in part because it tends to be um, a less resourced neighborhood than the others. 
or there are, um, the population doesn't reflect uh, people with a lot more space to be able to do that. I think it also has to do with uh, the housing that we're trying to uh, change. Um, the map there reflects a lot of single family homes, right? And that's really what we're trying to give people the freedom to maybe put a second or a third unit on a lot that may have uh, a single family home. I have a question. Um, so I, I just briefly skimmed through this, but I'm just wondering, like, I know getting this ordinance passed is like a whole process in itself, but how will you ensure that like people will make use of this legislation and actually add units to their homes? Because I'm just thinking like, I feel like a lot of people who are already comfortable in their living situations, especially like in higher resource neighborhoods, might not budge to add another unit to their home. So how will you like incentivize people like further down the line after this ordinance, if it gets passed? Gets yeah, passed? I think, um, well, there's a process here. It goes to the planning commission, it'll be heard there, right? And mm -hmm. they'll be uh, talking about it. And most of the people who are doing planning will uh, now understand that this is a tool that they can give to people who come to them and say, this is what I want to do. And they'll inform them. I think there, there will then be a process at the Board of Supervisors, right? And they'll hear it and then uh, it'll be both televised and members of the community will start to learn more and more about the legislation. I think um, there were hope, there's already been some news about it and I think that will generate a lot of support um, generally. I don't, um, I, I haven't faced a lot of opposition yet. Mm -hmm. We have from some neighborhoods that want neighborhoods to remain uh, single family uh, homes mm -hmm. and want to have that power over people that want to develop in the neighborhoods that have existed in a certain way for a very long period of time. So I'm not saying it won't be a struggle and I'm not saying it's gonna face opposition, but we think the majority of San Franciscans feel that um, they'd like to create an opportunity for housing for their families. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Um, I'm wondering, you know, last week the San Francisco had its housing element certified by HCD. Yep. Um, which was a big step, and I know the Board of Supervisors. We were very happy. Within the next few years, yep. uh, uh, we'll need to sort of follow up on that and implement pretty drastic changes to the status quo here in San Francisco. Um, so I'm wondering how much of that is a part of that effort and how that will affect um, meeting our housing element goals. We, we made sure to communicate to HDC that um, we are very, very much in favor of housing. And I think that helped with the passage of the housing element. They saw the different ways that the San Francisco elected family is in favor of housing going forward. Mm -hmm. I think they've seen both um, the political spectrum of San Francisco be in favor of housing and, and at the Board of Supervisors and the mayor. And they saw that um, unanimous support for more housing in San Francisco and I think that helped with passage. You know, we're facing many communities in the state who have not passed uh, a successful housing element and been rejected by the state. Um, and so um, we're very encouraged and so was HDCD and I think that's why they um, uh, said you're going to, you're, it's successful. We accept your um, housing element. And I think that's gonna mean a lot more money for the city if other communities don't pass it. It means the state's gonna give us more money to hopefully develop more affordable housing going forward. Um, I know you touched on this earlier, but I'm just curious if passed, how you intend to create public awareness about this opportunity, because I'm just wondering if there are people who may not have considered more development just because it's 
pretty well known how hard it is. Yes. And if they might be more inclined to think about it if they knew that it would be an easier process. Well, I'd be, we'd be open to any suggestions about um, communication with uh, residents of San Francisco about how to do that. I think we're always trying to find ways to reach a different generation, you know, uh, than we currently do with the Board of Supervisors. You consume media and information differently that is currently done at the Board of Supervisors. So if you have suggestions, that would be great. I think um, this legislation is going to be sent to many of the different neighborhood groups in San Francisco. They'll be notified about it. Um, we already have a meeting set up with a group of neighborhood associations uh, to speak to them uh, about it. And um, we're hoping on traditional news outlets to try and communicate with people. Um, you know, word of mouth spreads. If, if one development goes through, then that's going to tell a story uh, about how I was able to create a unit for my grandmother in the back of my, uh, you know, um, lot somewhere I had it subdivided and was able to give a unit to my daughter or son uh, or child that would allow the um, them to establish a future in San Francisco long term. I think it's a it's an exciting opportunity. So word of mouth, traditional media and one uh, on one conversations with different neighborhood associations. Thank you. Um, uh, just not to I'm still a little bit hungover about the the um, the high and highest resources neighborhood. Um, mm -hmm. How the those map? are how those are classified because um, it says that on page four that seven sorry fifty two percent of residential land in the city is high and highest resource neighborhood. And you know I haven't done like standard deviation or anything in a while, but it seems like that sounds like more land skews towards high and highest resource. So if it's like the majority of the land in the city is classified as that. I guess, like, what does the classification mean if that's just more than the majority of the houses? Like, why is that? Well, that's just, it's just, the, it's the majority. It is a, a majority. Read what it said again. Uh, since 2005, just 10% of all new houses in San Francisco and 10% of new affordable houses have been built in high and highest resource neighborhoods. That's obviously troubling, but though these areas cover nearly 52% of the residential land in the city, so it's not like say 5% of land in the city is is high and highest resource because that would be obviously that's an outlier it's 52% which is yeah so if you look at the map the western part of San Francisco traditionally there's not been a lot of new housing built in that area most of the housing that we've seen has happened south of market downtown market street corridor and as it says a lot of housing has not been built in the west side now that's changing a little bit with the developments at Stonestown and Balboa Reservoir uh, and possible expansion at uh, Lake Merced. So we are seeing some possible growth as far as uh, housing development goes on the western part of San Francisco or in some of those high resource neighborhoods. But again, I don't think they've um, shared the burden of developing new housing as far as San Francisco goes. That has happened in a lot of different neighborhoods in San Francisco. Okay, I definitely get that from the only 10% of new housing has been built in these high and highest resource neighborhoods. I think the, the thing that's just not just interesting to me or I'm questioning is if a majority of, of residential land is high and highest resource, why is that its own classification? Why is it just not 
why is it something to be like if it's if it's the majority of, of neighborhoods well can i sure i also think that that's a mandate by the state so san francisco is already a much more wealthy area than a majority of california so much more of our area is going to be considered so is it like a, a benchmark maybe maybe this is just going back to how they're classified it could be i can research a little bit more and get you the definitive answer to the uh how the state determines highest resource neighborhoods and why san francisco's uh highest resource is at 52 percent. okay i'm sure other people have questions so. no that's all right but thank you, you know, thank you for asking and i will try and get back to you um, with that answer I guess I had another question. So like, what does this like look like, like physically? Like, is it like adding an extra like story on the top or like building something like in the backyard, like converting the garage? Well, like, I don't know what, it, maybe I should read it more, but what does it look no, like? No, that's exactly what it looks like. I think if you have a uh, RH1 or RHD housing, right? So uh, a house detached, right? From other neighborhood houses and you have uh, a large lot and you have the ability to put uh, an ADU or an accessory dwelling unit in on that lot, then I think you could find space in the backyard. It also means uh, filing plans to try and change the configuration of your house with a subdivision that would add uh, a new unit to your one unit, basically RH1 house. So go up a floor. Uh, create a new bathroom and new uh, uh, another living room and on the lot that you have and then you have it um, subdivided and you've created a new unit uh, and created a condominium basically or a TIC on the existing space. Okay, well, um, I don't think we have any more time for further questions, but I want to say thank you so much again for coming and talk to us talking to us about this legislation. Um, now we're gonna look to take action on it, so we'll have discussion. Yeah. Yeah, I'd like to move that we support this legislation. I'd like to thank Supervisor Melgar and your office um, for working on this. I think you hit the nail right on the head, which is that we need uh, space for future generations of San Franciscans, especially considering that older generations are not leaving. They're not leaving. Um, yeah. Not that they should. I think that we should create a San Francisco that correct. welcomes everyone. But That's you know, correct. this is such a major concern, and I think that this addresses it in a very common sense. Um, I, I, you know, I, I don't think this is super radical or anything. I don't think this needs to scare the homeowners of the West Side. Um, this is a pretty common sense um, step that we can take, especially when it comes to. I think we had a bit of a realization when it comes to the housing element here in San Francisco about the progress we need to make. So um, I'll be motioning to support this uh, ordinance. Seconded. Great. Um, staff, can you please take a roll call vote on that motion? Oh, is there any public comment on this motion? Chair, when there's no public comment. Oh, right. Staff, can you please take a roll call vote? Um, on that motion, Commissioner Wong? Aye. Commissioner Wong, aye. Commissioner Adair? Aye. Commissioner Adair, aye. Uh, Commissioner Loftus? Aye. Commissioner Loftus, aye. Commissioner Miller? Aye. Commissioner Miller, aye. Officer Listana? Aye. Officer Listana, aye. Commissioner Anish? Aye. Commissioner Anish, aye. Officer Udding? Aye. Officer Udding, aye. Commissioner Colleen? Aye. Commissioner Colleen, aye. Commissioner Pimentel? Aye. Commissioner Pimentel, aye. Vice Chair Barker Plummer? Aye. Vice Chair Barker Plummer, aye. Officer Hum? Aye. 
Officer Hum, aye. Officer Shaw, aye. Officer Shaw, aye. Commissioner M, aye. Commissioner M, aye. Commissioner Hillman, aye. Commissioner Hillman, aye. Chair Wynn, aye. Chair Wynn, aye. Chair, you have 15 ayes. The motion passes. Great, thank you. Um, thank you, commissioners, for your support. It's very much appreciated. Thank we'll you make so sure much. to promote that as part of the legislation. Thank you. Let us know if you need anything else from us. Great, thank you. Thank you. Um, I'm wondering, are we going to add any comments to our motion to support? Um, Y'all can do that. Okay. Like, when we're writing the memo, just okay. send me something. Like, after the meeting, or just, like, talk right now? And then... Well, we already have our next presenter. Okay. But yeah. we can do it af after, like, we have our scheduled presenters. Okay. Yeah, we can um, look at the minutes and then, like, add in the questions, and then we can work on that together. Yeah. But um, I don't want to keep our next presenter waiting. Uh, Robin, right? Correct. Thank you so much for talking to us about the ordinance to extend the grace period for shared spaces. Uh, do you need anything to present on the screen? Thank you, Chair Wen. I did bring a PDF presentation, okay. um, just as some visual prompts. Thank you. Good evening, Commissioners. Uh, Chair Wen, thank you so much for your interest and um, engagement around the Shared Spaces Program, uh, which is largely comprised of the San Francisco Parklet Program here um, in the city and county of San Francisco. I'm uh, Robin Abad Akbilo, uh, the director of the Shared Spaces Program based at the Planning Department. We're an interagency department. My team is comprised of staff from many different agencies, and it's an honor to represent them here before you tonight. Also, just before I get started, I want to express my gratitude to staff, Joy, Alondra, and Joshua for the coordination um, for this evening. Um, I'm going to reprise a presentation that I gave just a little bit this early, earlier this afternoon to the Land Use and Transportation Committee of the Board of Supervisors. And um, this is a briefing on the impacts and the outcomes of this new ordinance. Thank you. All right, sounds good. Um, the presentation will have four parts. We'll talk a little bit about the current state of the program, you know, how many shared spaces are out there, how many are seeking a renewal to continue operating after the pandemic version of the program ends. We'll also um, talk a little bit about what um, Mayor Breed's proposed ordinance will do, what the implications of this 120-day extension to the grace period actually means for operators, for our everyday experience of the street. I'll also talk a little bit about the education and outreach that we have been doing and will continue to do to support neighborhoods as we transition into a post-pandemic program. And then I'll also talk about some of the equity grants that the program has set up, funded largely by Mayor Breed's budget for this fiscal year. So the shared spaces takes place in the out of doors. Um, principally in the curbside lane or, um, you know, in parking spaces, which we've already been doing in San Francisco, as many of you know, for over a decade with a public space typology called the parklet. But shared spaces also take place um, 
as recurring street closures. These often take place in um, weekend days and evenings, several days a week in different neighborhoods. So the entire street will be pedestrianized and closed to vehicular traffic for a limited number of days um, and hours on a recurring basis, as well as on sidewalks. Um, we've already been doing this for many decades in San Francisco with, for example, restaurant uh, chairs and tables, dining service, um, but this has since expanded for, for nonprofit, arts and other community uses and activation of the sidewalk. During the pandemic version of the program, Shared Spaces was also um, responsible for, for facilitating pop-up recurring activations on vacant lots. Sometimes these are city-owned parcels, sometimes they're privately owned parcels. The city didn't really have a way for communities to really take over these vacant spaces before the Shared Spaces uh, pandemic program was initiated. However, coming out of the pandemic, these uh, permits will actually be moving into a pl the planning department under a different permitting schema. So when we're talking about April 2023 moving forward and we're talking about shared spaces, we're really only talking about sidewalks, curbsides or parklets and roadways. Uh, this is a very dynamic portfolio of sites across the city of San Francisco. So this map isn't 100% real-time accurate of to, as of today, but as you can see, shared spaces occur in all neighborhoods across all districts of San Francisco. Their density largely mirrors existing land use and kind of business development patterns that pre-existed the program throughout the city. So naturally, naturally, when we have parts of the city or commercial corridors with fewer businesses, we tend to see few share, fewer shared spaces in those parts of the city than in others where you know uh, housing density, um, as well as business density is very high. There's been a lot of a special attention paid to the parklet program being kind of the most visible, I, I call it the charismatic megafauna of the shared spaces program. Um, the vast majority of the shared spaces are those parklets. Um, we have seen most parklet operators who operated during the pandemic come forward to say that they want to pursue operating after the pandemic program ends on March 31st. A number of those pandemic permittees, about 350, it's that yellow bar there in that kind of middle column, have not yet registered their interest by submitting an application for a post-pandemic permit. So our job is to do extra outreach to make sure that we're doing in-neighborhood and in-language contact with those folks to just verify if they want to continue operating and if they do, provide them the support that they need in order to submit an application and move forward with the statutory permitting process. Also a little bit of context, I mentioned earlier that um, our team is comprised of staff from many different agencies. Um, even a simple parklet, believe it or not, requires many departments to evaluate for fitness and safety, location, appropriateness, et cetera. So there's a team from Public Works, the fire department, um, and the MTA especially who are involved in reviewing and approving these applications. Um, despite the portfolio getting bigger and bigger day by day, our staff levels do um, remain relatively constant. Uh, we're working to um, increase staff capacity, especially at Public Works, which is the agency that uh, permits and administers, especially the par parklet permits, um, so that it can more cl closely match the trend that we're seeing and like the increase of cases. Um, the mayor's ordinance in part has outcomes that do help to address the fact that staffing remains at a certain level while we're seeing neighborhoods exponentially more and more want more activation out in the streets.
So just to get into a little bit more directly what the mayor's uh, mayor breeds ordinance does. By context, without the ordinance, given current kind of code in the city and the mayor's emergency declarations, we basically have about 60 days after this pandemic program sunsets to get all of those parklets um, you know, fixed in terms of their accessibility and their fire safety issues, inspected, a permit issued, a public notice posted. It's a lot of work for a gigantic volume of uh, small business operators. So we've also been hearing from the small business community here in San Francisco and as well as from industry groups that that feels really tight, that feels really constrained. Um, a lot of them want to be good neighbors. They want to make the appropriate adjustments and resize their parklets um, as the city's been advising them. Uh, but given supply chain issues and given the state of the economy and tourism and employment in San Francisco, you know, unfortunately, their future is looking less and less bright. San Francisco, as you know, commissioners, um, has a formula retail policy. So this means that m by and large, the vast majority of restaurants and businesses in our commercial corridors are family owned. They're locally owned. These are small business enterprises. And not only have many of them been giving to their communities and serving their communities for decades, um, but you know, communities really rely on folks in, in corridors. So our overriding public policy in San Francisco, especially right now as we're coming out of the pandemic, is to help stabilize these folks so that they don't go away and disappear forever. So this 100, uh, the 60 day kind of wind down period is now being expanded basically to a 180 day grace period. So there's also been questions about like, what specifically needs to happen, right? What are the what do operators need to do? What kind of support does the city need to provide? Um, well, let's say that um, I'm just going to say Joy's Pizzeria. Joy has been operating a pizzeria through the pandemic, right? And um, she knows that the pandemic program is sunsetting on March 31st of this year. And she really wants to keep operating after this because this, her, a parklet outside of her pizzeria has helped her retain pretty much all of her employees through the pandemic. She's been able to you know, provide food and continue her business safely out of doors. She's got to submit a permit application. And then the city needs to review that application for completeness, make sure that it's got all of the components for safety and ADA accessibility to make it a successful site and be eligible for a future permit. We got to the city needs to communicate that to Joy. We're going to take no more than 30 days to do that. After that, there'll be a 10-day posting this is a public notice that goes out on the street in the storefront of Joy's Pizzeria that says, we intend to um, operate a parklet continuing after April. After that 10-day notice pass period passes, then Joy's able to make all of those fixes to her parklet. Um, commissioners, as you probably know from walking around San Francisco, a lot of these um, parklets went up somewhat hastily over the pandemic, right? So there's a you might say there's a great diversity in kind of quality of execution and materials and aesthetics, but also more importantly, like kind of safety and accessibility for folks with disabilities. So we definitely need to get all that stuff sorted out in order for um, Joy to continue operating uh, in April and beyond. So we're asking our operators to implement those changes within 60 days of receiving a communication from the city team. 
after we get notified, Joy tells us, hey, everything's all good. I had my contractor out here to fix you know, the issues. The city is committing to coming out and performing an inspection to verify that that um, work is indeed done and we can issue a permit and the city's um, committing to doing that within 15 days. And I don't mean to belabor these, like, these dates too much, but um, it's just to help you all understand that in that big 180 days with 700 or 800 parklets, it's a huge volume for the city to have to process. And we don't want everyone waiting till like one, day 179 to start getting going, right? Um, we wanna put everyone on a set of expectations so that we can um, spend all the time we need to spend to help folks. Quickly just wrapping up with some resources and support that we're continuing to provide to small businesses in San Francisco neighborhoods. Um, Mayor Breed has funded an equity grant program this is $2,500 for each parklet operator to address um, primarily the safety and accessibility um, issues to offset the costs of implementing that work. Um, so uh, the application is, of course, available in many languages, not just English, Spanish, and Chinese, um, and is available at sf.gov slash shared spaces dash equity. Um, since this past summer, we've also been doing some very intensive outreach to neighborhoods. These frequently are in-neighborhood language supported or in-language um, communications and outreach. Um, you know, s many of our legacy businesses are monolingual businesses, or they're ones that are serving um, very specifically, very specific ethnic and cultural clientele. And um, you know, it's, we see it as our duty and our responsibility as program operators to make sure that we're providing the extra support that's necessary um, for folks um, of those backgrounds to be able to understand what to do and um, to have uh, access to the full suite of resources. We'll be continuing with that in-neighborhood, in-language outreach until March 31st, which is when the pandemic program is set to sunset. Finally, I just wanted to call out uh, some public service announcements, some video public service announcements that we collaborated on with SFGov TV. They helped us produce three two-minute videos um, that uh, sort of explain visually some of the requirements that are needed for safety and accessibility at, at parklets. You can see those at sf.gov slash shared spaces dash PSAs. Um, and with that, that concludes my formal presentation and I'm available for questions from the commission. Chair, a uh, point of privilege. Yeah, go ahead. Um, thank you so much for presenting to us. I'd like to open up to other commissioners if you guys have any questions. I know you wrote some talking points if you wanted to share first, Commissioner Miller. Oh, yeah. Um, I don't know. This item was really of interest to me. Um, just, I don't know, I, I really like have like appreciated the like shared spaces program throughout the pandemic. Like when it started on Valencia, I was out there like volunteering, like when that was like required to like have people at the ends uh, like of the block. And I don't know, it's just been um, really nice for like a lot of neighborhoods. Um, but I don't know, I just have like a, a few like questions and like maybe concerns about it. Like I think you kind of mentioned like accessibility issues and stuff. Um, so with this like extension, um, would it basically like it would allow like the the businesses to be like kind of like out of compliance with the new rules for longer? Is that like my understanding? Um, essentially, uh, Commissioner, that is one potential outcome of this extension. So 
um, in order to have access to this like extended grace period, this 180 day period, first of all, you have to have submitted a permit application. So we need to get that by March 31. Um, a majority, the vast majority of parklet operators in San Francisco have already submitted that, which is great news. Um, so, you know, it, this isn't just a freebie, right? You have to be, take the program seriously. You have to indicate through your, your application submittal with a, with a site plan and other documentation that you're aware of the issues that you think you need to fix and are presenting a plan for addressing those things. Um, and if we've received that and uh, the communication and the interaction with the operator is moving along the timeline that I had uh, shown earlier, then essentially, yes, you have, you know, up to 180 days to complete all of the items in that checklist in that timeline. I can tell you, Commissioner, that especially when it comes to ADA, when we have communicated with uh, Parklet sponsors about the requirements, for the most part, the overwhelming majority of them have really wanted to make those fixes and um, to make sure that their sites are available to all patrons, honestly. So um, we are seeing positive response from, uh, from Parklet sponsors, but um, you know, converting and modifying all these sites isn't gonna be an overnight exercise. It's really gonna be a huge lift for the entire city and all communities to, to get this done. Yeah, I see. And I don't know, I looked through like your um, like manual that's online. It's put together very nice. It looks very nice, by the way. Um, but I noticed there's like some requirements, like um, it's like visibility at intersections. And I, I don't know, I go by, I take the, the 18 every day. And it also has requirements about not blocking like bus stops, including flag stops. And I take the bus and like I'll get off sometimes at Terrible and it's completely blocked, like five spaces by this like parklet. So essentially what this would mean is that that would, could potentially continue for an additional 120 days under this. Is that my understanding? Yes, thank you for the really astute observations. It, there's the potential for conditions like this in certain parts of the city to um, persist for a while. I mean, our goal is to get everything clear, to get, you know, obviously the, the flag stop rule is, is new. Um, and uh, moving a parklet down from the intersection is, is a not insignificant capital uh, kind of expense. Um, so th that is, there's the potential for that to happen, yes. Yeah, I don't know. I'm like, just as like a young person, you know, I know like a ton of people like from my school take that bus and like use that stop to get to school. So it's like, I don't know, it's just important to me. But I also noticed like in your slides, like you noted that like, this is maybe like costing like about like, I think it was currently like about like 12 FTE positions. Like the program, like I guess it has like benefits in terms of like increasing like sales tax revenue and like sparking like economic, uh, you know, benefits of course, but like how does the program, like are the permit fees gonna cover the cost of the program or like how does that work? Yes, that's a, um, a really, also another really insightful question. The permit fees do not completely offset the costs of staff time or administration. Um, before the pandemic, in the kind of, you know, the olden park, parklet days, uh, an individual parklet could, in terms of just permit fees, could exceed 8,000, sometimes reach $10,000. And um, there was a little, at the time, there was a little bit more of a cost recovery model for how those fees were determined per, per permit, right? But what we were seeing is that that actually, the high cost of accessing the program boxed out a lot of communities. It boxed out a lot of, you know, um, uh, 
immigrant businesses. It boxed out a lot of um, you know lower grossing businesses who just couldn't afford to build a parklet, maintain it, and pay high fees. So one of the reasons that the fee schema for the post-pandemic program is lower than it was is because the hope is that it will mean that more, more neighborhoods and more businesses can access it. Um, with that, though, the city has made a commitment, um, you know, intrinsically by passing that legislation for that new fee schedule or that fee schema to resource the program, right? The city is going to subsidize through department staffing and support and administration of the program this benefit. Um, I can't underscore enough, though, commissioners, like how profoundly important it is for us to keep our neighborhood small businesses in place. So um, at this moment, parklets are less about spurning additional benefits and more just about the, um, the very essential project of stabilization and just keeping folks in place to begin with. Um, you know, they, as we've seen with um, large office vacancies and layoffs, um, a few simple moves in the business community can have overwhelming cascading effects. So um, we don't want dead commercial corridors. We want our commercial corridors still filled with our locally owned businesses. Um, and we want them to keep employing people. So that's, again, the rationale with stretching this out a little bit longer to retain as many small businesses as possible. Sorry, I have one last question. I promise this is it. Um, so I know like the old um, like pre-pandemic parklet program required that the entire parklet was open to the general public at all times. And now under this new program, I think the only requirement is that a public bench is provided during certain hours. Like, why is there that change? Because, you know, this is obviously like the public right of way that we're giving at a discounted, you know, rate than the, you know, actual value of the land to these small businesses, which I, I understand, you know, the, the benefits that they provide to, you know, San Francisco. But there's also, you know, concerns around like equity and, you know, who is and who isn't allowed to use our public street, you know? Absolutely. And that was a very robust point of debate at the Board of Supervisors when they, um, they legisl legislated this program. Um, in July 2021. How do we take our old fully public parklet program, um, adapt it for the future, and um, still honor our public access kind of um, ethos here in San Francisco? So, um, you know, what I can say is that the new parklet program actually now has three tiers or three types. In the past, we had one type, fully public, no commercial activity. Now we have three, and I usually have a diagram to illustrate this. Unfortunately, it's not in this presentation, but I can follow up with staff um, with examples of that if the commission likes. Um, now we have three types. There's a fully public parklet, that's tier one. Tier two and three are different kinds of commercial parklets. And so if you've reviewed um, the, the manual, um, commissioner, then you'll see that there are different kinds. So we're not um, like, destroying the ability or removing the, um, the parklet typology that is fully public. Um, it still exists, it's still an opportunity. But for those new commercial parklets, those two other tiers or those two other types, um, we are diverging from what we did in the pandemic where all of the parklet was for private commercial activity and ensuring carving out a space now moving forward for at least part of it to be publicly accessible at all times. So um, given the kind of long-term history parklets and our ongoing experimentation with this typology in San Francisco, it continues to evolve. And um, there is at least some measure of public accessibility in every kind of tier. One last thing I'll say is that that fully public 
parklet tier, the one that most resembles what we had before the pandemic, has the lowest fees, right? So the city's incentivizing really um, folks creating fully public parklets. And if you're gonna use them for commercial activity or commercial gain, um, you know, for revenue generation, then of course your permit and your license fees are gonna be higher. Sorry, just to follow up, like from the applications you have Sorry. so far, like do you have Commissioner a sense Miller, of the number? we're very behind in time. Um, is oh, I, I, I don't know, it's like, I don't know if he knows the number. Okay, yeah, yeah, sorry, finish your question. Sorry, do you, do you know the number of applications that have been like so far for the public? Uh, at this time, Commissioner, I don't know what per percentage of applications that have come in are for that tier one fully public parklet. Okay, thank yeah. you. Great. Um, we ran out of time, but I want to thank you for coming to speak to us, speaking to us today. Um, I know you wanted to take a picture, right? Do you still want to do that? If, if the commission is willing, I would yeah. be very grateful. Yeah, yeah sure. We're up for yeah. it. Okay. Um, yeah, we should probably do it before we forget. Do you want to All just right. like... Yeah, we, how, should, how does staff want it? I don't know. Do you want to just <laughs> like come here or something and then... Sure. Should we stand up? Uh, there's no need. Is there any Now we'll move into possible action for this piece of legislation. Um, I know Commissioner Miller had initially drafted up something. Is there a motion that you want to make? Yeah, I think like kind of what I'd like to do is because, you know, I don't think this thing is like meritless, the extension. I just like, I am really concerned like about the, the access issues. So we could vote to take no position and still send in our like, our thoughts on it, right? That's a possibility? Yeah. Okay, so maybe I'd motion to, um, to not take a position on this, but um, I have several comments. I don't know if I could just send them to staff after for the memo, or I could also read them out, but if we're behind on time. You can just send them. Okay. Because, we'll dr yeah, we'll draft it offline. Has everyone had a chance to see that who wants to see it? I, we have a copy here that we can. Um, everyone should have a copy. Of He's talking about Hayden's. Can you also send me like a PDF version of that? Yeah, I'll send it to you. I don't think, are we allowed to include pictures in the memo? I don't think we I can include that as an attachment. Okay, oh, that's great. Yeah. Okay, great. Uh, so thank you for drafting that up. We'll, We'll make the memo offline. Um, is there a second on the motion? Seconded, Commissioner Utting. 
Okay, so Commissioner Miller motions to take no position on the legislation um, and and motions to send in the comments separately. Uh, seconded by Commissioner Utting. Staff, can you, wait, uh, is there any public comment on this motion? I'd like to offer a, a different motion. What's your motion? Uh, I'd like to motion to support and share some of the concerns in this memo. We can work on um, changing the language later, but I think that this is an important thing that the city should undertake, and I think that we should be supportive of that. I, 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 to, to add a little I bit of reasoning, that. thank you. <laughs> to, to add a little bit of re reasoning to that as the, uh, for discussion, is there another motion that we, anyone wants to make? I don't, before Commissioner Colleen, um, just to add my, my reasoning, and maybe this will clarify a little bit. Um, based on the timeline that I've seen today, it's like practically impossible to, for a small business to meet the deadline of 60 days. And I think that that's really kind of setting up this program for failure. Maybe it's technically possible, but that means that they would have to begin the process like on day one. And realistically, that doesn't give the shared spaces program enough time either. So I actually worry that by not extending the deadline, or even us saying that we are, have these major concerns and don't want it to be extended, um, which is more or less what the proposed um, memo says, I think that we could actually have the city sort of shooting itself in the foot and have business owners kind of completely ignore this new mandate or um, you know, not even be aware of it based on the timeline. I just, I mean, I, I, I wish I could support your motion, and if it comes to it, I might, but I, I just think that the timeline is so unrealistic at this point that I would like to offer this, this motion as well. It's a shame we didn't have time for more questions. I wish I would have known the, the time constraint before, so um, y'all could have seeked further clarification about the timeline. The thing I'm just concerned about is that I don't know, it was already an issue during the like pandemic when these like spaces first came out and you know they were blocking the sidewalk, you know, people with strollers, you know, wheelchairs, you know, our constituents couldn't get on the bus, you know, because and they still can't because there's parklets that are obstructing it. And you know, like I'm also just concerned too about like I said, like the the you know, this is public space and formerly, you know, this program, the parklet program, used to create public space, and now we're putting a little bench off to the side for the the people who don't want to buy, you know, a twenty dollar whatever meal from the small businesses. And if people want to choose to support the businesses, I think the old parklet program brought a lot of business to those places, and people would choose to go there. But I'm just concerned that this is like a privatization of public space. And you know, my thing acknowledges that, yeah, car parking, you know, isn't a whole lot better, but you know. I, I don't know. I just think in terms of the timeline, like, you know, if it's unrealistic, they're going to change it anyways, but I don't want to support a thing that's going to mean that, you know, my constituents, my classmates going to school um, are going to, you know, not be able to access the bus. It's going to block the crosswalk visibility. We're going to read the Vision Zero resolution later. I don't know. It's just not something I can support. So, yeah. Are there any questions about either motions? Uh, yeah, yeah. So to clarify, do you want a clarification on the procedure? No, no. Oh, no I you have, you have a question about the motion. The motion. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I just want to clarify that the motion um, presented by uh, Vice Chair Barker Plummer, it's accepting and um, 
approving that we um, support. support it. Thank you. I could not think of word support. But with, with the concerns. But we have concerns here. as well. And I think that we can. I Presented think, by. I think that works. I think that works, and I think that we can work, and I want to work with Commissioner Miller and others on this, is changing this language to say that we support it, but we have X, Y, and Z concerns. Because I also agree that that's, you know, definitely an issue that we need to have input on as well. Okay. But Commissioner Miller is just saying we don't support, and I still have these notes we want to give as a youth commission. And this wording specifically, I think. We're, I'm not saying that we don't support the program. I'm saying we have no position on the program. No position. Okay. That's why I wanted to clarify. Okay. No, no position on this legislation, not the program itself, too. Or, well, just, yeah. just, just because, just yes. to clarify it. That's I've, true of both motions. I have a clarification too. If we were oh, to, <laughs> if we were to support the motion with concerns, would all like official documentation of that say supported with concerns? Like, would that be clear, or would it just be like some of the memos like supported, and then it lists I mean concerns below? Like, is it clear everywhere that you would look up what the youth commission? It's an Alondra question. It would. My understanding is that, oh, go ahead. Hi. Um, so when the commission um, gets legislation referred, there's comment and no comment. So we're giving commentary. That could be like questions, uh, discussion that was had to support or not support. So y'all don't even have to do a support or not support. Y'all can just send commentary. Does that? Make sense? Mm -hmm. So it's, it's truly up to the discretion of the commission on what they would want. And I would just say I'm happy with my, um, you know, motion to not specifically support or oppose this. I, I, I don't necessarily oppose the program. Um, to change, if, if the issue that Commissioner Barker Plummer has is with the specific language of the recommendations, I'm happy to work with him and other commissioners to change that to make it, you know, more to, to state that we, you know, have both positives and negatives, um, I'm happy to add or modify uh, and work with him offline. But I don't know. Okay. I just think the concerns <clears throat> prevent me from fully supporting it. Great. Thank you. Um, since we don't have much more time, I think we can just go into a vote uh, on the second motion first, which is Commissioner Barker Plummer's motion to um, support the ordinance. Um, with the attached comments and recommendations seconded by Commissioner Colleen. Uh, is there any public comment on that motion? If members of the public would like to speak and have not already done so, please line up behind the podium or press star data or raise your hand in the WebEx app. Chair Wynn, you have no public comment. Thank you. Staff, can you please take a roll call vote on that motion? On the motion to support the legislation motioned by Commissioner Barker Plummer and, and seconded by Commissioner Colleen. Um, Commissioner Wong. Aye. Commissioner Wong, aye. Um, Commissioner Adair. Nay. Adair, nay. Commissioner Loftus. Aye. Loftus, aye. Commissioner Miller. Nay. Miller, nay. Officer Lastana. Can you come back to me? Question? Yes. Please? Okay. Commissioner Anish. Aye. Anish, aye. Officer Udding. Aye. Udding, aye. Commissioner Colleen. Aye. Colleen, aye. Commissioner Pimentel. Aye. 
Pimentel, aye. Vice Chair Barker Plummer. Aye. Barker Plummer, aye. Officer Hum. Aye. Hum, aye. Officer Shaw. Aye. Officer Shaw, aye. Commissioner Im. Aye. M, aye. Commissioner Hillman. Aye. Hillman, aye. Chair Wynn. Nay. Wynn, nay. Chair, you have... We need to ask Lestana. Oh, Officer Lestana. Aye. Lestana, aye. Chair Wynn, you have 12 ayes and 3 nays um, with Commissioners Adair, Miller, and Wynn in dissent. Um, this motion passes. Great. Um, so congrats to Commissioner Barker Plummer on that motion. Um, we do need to go back to the first motion. Oh, yeah, yeah. Doesn't okay. it void it, essentially? If 13 voted for aye, that 12. 12. I assume those 12 will also. Well, I mean, but if we've made a motion to support something, we can't. and we, that if, in theory, if we also supported this motion, would we then, like, what would happen? Don't we? It would be however, I believe it would be however many has the most votes. Or the motion could be rescinded. Is it not by time? By what? Like if we vote on this one second, that doesn't take precedence. But it's about how many people vote. I think at that point it would be. I'm fine just rescinding the motion. Okay. Then we're good. Okay. We should, I, I do want to have an answer to that question offline because it's an, yeah, interesting, we can talk about it's it. an interesting question. Kind of. Um, so you rescind your motion? Yes, I rescind the motion. Okay. Uh, thank you. Um, okay, well, I think we can draft the um, comments and recommendations offline, but thank you so much, Robin, for coming and speaking to us today. Um, we'll be in contact with your office if our committee decides to pursue this any further, but yeah, thank you so much for your time. We really appreciate you being here. Um, okay, moving on to the overdose prevention programs. Um, is staff from D9 here? Thank you so much for your patience. Um, sorry for the delay. We are running a little behind on time, but really appreciate you waiting. Um, is there anything you need on the screen for your presentation? Um, yes. Can I share my screen? Is that okay? Yeah, yeah. We'll make you presenter. Yes. Uh, we'll okay. make you presenter. Okay, perfect. Let me try to see if I can do this really quickly. Mm. Telling me to open up system preferences. I'm not it, it, entirely sure if I can share this. So you might want to share the slides on. <laughs> Sorry, I was just I was just saying that when a, the last time I tried to present on a WebEx, it would make me like quit the app in order to update it to allow system preferences. Can you guys see my screen or no? No. For some reason, it's not letting me share. 
I'm able to share on my end, so um, can you make me presenter again? You have to pass it back to Alondra.Escobel. The reason it's not letting me share, it just keeps asking me to open up system preferences. Is there... Yeah, can you come back to the WebEx app and then and pass the presenter back to Alondra? Okay, yes. Um... How do I do that? <laughs> right Sorry. click, um, right click Alondra, go to role. She's the host right now. Yes. Okay. So it won't let me, okay. Alondra, make presenter. Yeah, it, awesome. WebEx is really weird. I apologize for that. No worries. <laughs> and I'm super not tech savvy, so I apologize on my end as well. <laughs> Great. Thank you so much, you guys. All right. So, hi, everyone. My name is Nikita Fanny. I'm one of Supervisor Ronan's legislative aides. And kind of the main topics that I staff her on are behavioral health as well as criminal justice. So I'm here to give you all around in terms of what we're doing with overdose prevention sites in general and then the ordinance that will be coming up at uh, PSNS on Thursday. Awesome. Can we go to the next slide, please, Alondra? Thank you. So just kind of a general overview of what overdose prevention centers are, aka known as safe consumption sites. They're basically more of a medical facility where individuals can come, bring, you know, whatever control, controlled substances they would otherwise be using on the streets into this facility, and they're essentially being monitored by clinicians and nurses to make sure that they don't overdose. And at the same time, generally, overdose prevention centers have drop-in centers attached to them, as well as case management services, health services, holistic health services, and referrals to treatment. Next slide, please. So this is kind of just, and the Department of Public Health uses this visual as well. This is kind of the continuum of care when we're looking at drug treatment and rehabilitation. So obviously we want to get to abstinence and we want to be able to maintain that abstinence, but for individuals that aren't even ready to enter treatment, this overdose prevention programs and centers fall into this re-contemplation phase. So before they're even ready to, you know, engage in treatment, these overdose prevention centers help them address trauma, um, be in a safe place to essentially use until they do get to the point where they're like, okay, I'm ready to enter into detox. But that does take time. It takes trust. It takes building bonds. And so these overdose prevention centers and programs fall within this recontemplation phase of the entire continuum of care. So it is just one phase 
in this continuum of care that we're looking at. Next slide. So overdose prevention sites have existed for decades in other countries. We just haven't really caught up as of yet. There's numerous countries around the nation, including Canada, Australia, and Portugal, that have all had success with this model. We have been working with an epidemiologist called Alex Kral, who has studied these models for over two decades. And kind of the main takeaways in terms of doing the research of these other models, and there was a uh, non-sanctioned model that popped up in the U.S. in 2014, so he was able to study that as well. And these are kind of the main takeaways. Generally, there is a decrease in crime in the surrounding area because all this open-air drug use is now coming inside into a regulated, monitored facility. You also see a decrease in visits to ERs. Obviously, when somebody overdoses out on the street, EMS, paramedics have to respond. They generally take that individual to the emergency department, SFGH. They end up spending um, up, up to eight days, depending on how severe kind of their overdose was and how long doctors feel like they need to monitor them. And so if you're able to get an individual to use at one of these overdose prevention centers, as opposed to overdosing on the streets, you really, really cost save in terms of visits to the ER, and individuals don't have to spend that much time in the ER. They're in a safer facility. You also see a decrease in the number of overdose deaths, and there's also a decrease in hazardous materials, specifically needles, pipes out on the streets that just aren't there anymore because people are able to use safely inside. Next slide, please. So. The first overdose prevention center that opened up in the U.S. was in New York. They opened up two overdose prevention centers in November of 2021. The nonprofit that is running these overdose prevention centers is on point. They are a nonprofit that provides medical services, substance abuse services, health services, drop-in services. So they were tasked with opening these two overdose prevention sites. Next slide, please. So here's kind of some of the statistics that we've seen since these two overdose prevention sites have opened in New York. Um, in a little bit over a year of their operation, they've re reversed over 700 overdoses. Uh, Sam Rivera is the executive director of On Point NYC, and he constantly says his favorite number is zero because nobody has died at either one of these overdose prevention centers. Over 1.5 million units of hazardous waste has been prevented from even entering the community. Um, he gave an example that before they opened up these overdose prevention sites, there's a park that's directly across from one of their sites, and Park and Rec would generally collect 13,000 needles from that park a month. And after these two overdose prevention sites started, they saw a 12,000 reduction in needles. Um, so only 1,000 needles were being found in that park. So that's, that's a huge reduction. And uh, these centers have been used over 55,000 times, meaning every single time this is being used, that's one less person using on the street. Next slide. Oh, <coughs> thank you. 
So I just wanted to give you all a little bit of background of how this affects San Francisco and where we are in San Francisco particularly. So back in 2022, uh, our mayor had declared a state of emergency in the Tenderloin. And as a result of that declaration, it was actually in December of 2021, but as a result of that declaration in uh, January of 2022, we were able to open up the Tenderloin Linkage Center. It was in the UN Plaza. I'm not sure if any of you kind of walked by there. But essentially, it was a huge drop-in center, but it also had this overdose prevention services area where people could come use safely um, and if they were experiencing overdose they could you know professionals could come in and reverse that overdose while they were in operation um, they were operating for 11 months unfortunately they closed this past December during their 11 months of operation they were able to reverse 333 overdoses and they had about 400 visitors per day. When kind of DPH realized that these the center was slated to close, they obviously understood that they needed some sort of alternative, right? Um, a similar alternative doesn't really exist in the city currently. So in September of 2022, they put together their overdose prevention plan, which included overdose services, including overdose prevention centers. Um, and per some of these public re record requests, they were slated to open up 12 wellness hubs, is what they essentially called them, throughout the city. Unfortunately, Tenderloin Center closed. We don't have these wellness hubs up and running, so there's literally no alternatives for these individuals that were using the Tenderloin Linkage Center. Next slide. So the ordinance that you guys are talking about today, this is going to be at uh, Public Safety, Neighborhood Safety Committee on Thursday. So essentially what we're asking is we're asking to repeal an ordinance that was passed in 2020. In 2020, I think when the Board of Supervisors, this is my understanding, I unfortunately wasn't a legislative aide then, so I'm just kind of looking back at the legislative intent. But it seems like the legislative intent for the city attorney as well as the sponsor of the bill was they were under the assumption that uh, Senator Weiner's bill was going to pass at the state level, allowing for a pilot of these overdose prevention centers, a pilot in San Francisco, Los Angeles, and Oakland. So the Board of Supervisors essentially said, okay, we believe this uh, state bill is going to pass. So in, 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 in anticipation of that bill passing, we're going to create these parameters around state consumption sites so that when the bill passes, we can immediately hit the ground running. Unfortunately, that wasn't the case. Next slide, please. So Governor Newsom ended up vetoing that bill. And even though the state bill never went into effect, this ordinance did. So even though it hasn't been implemented, it could technically be enforceable, which is a barrier to us opening these overdose prevention centers. I think it is the board's intention to maybe revisit this at a later time. But because we already have so many barriers to opening these centers, uh, the mayor's office, 
and our office essentially said, let's repeal this ordinance so that we can eliminate some of the barriers and really get these sites up and running, especially since they were supposed to open back in December when the Tenderloin linkage was closing down. And now we're kind of stuck with no alternative. Next slide. And that's essentially it. If you all have any questions, I'd be happy to answer them. Great. Thank you so much for your presentation. Um, now I'll open it up oh. to the commissioners. Sorry, can you hear me? Can you? <laughs> now it's switching between my headphones. Okay, okay we're good now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just opening it up for any commissioners who may have questions. Um, I guess my only question is, I'm, I'm quite supportive of harm reduction. My only concern is if the original ordinance placed any limitations on how close these sites could be to like youth centers, you could think about like parks, schools, and if repealing this ordinance in doing so, A, either adds those limitations or would take away those limitations. Yeah, so it's actually pretty surprising in terms of New York and what they've experienced in their over a year of operation is that one of their main partners has been a school across the street and a park across the street. So one of the parks across from one of these overdose prevention centers had been closed for years because of open-air drug use and children, you know, none of the parents wanted to take their kids there. But once these overdose prevention centers opened and all of that open-air drug use and that hazardous material ended up going inside, that park ended up opening again and a ton of kids are now playing in it. Similar to the schools, so On Point has created these task forces as well. So instead of the police having to go deal with somebody that's dealing with an overdose or somebody that might be using outside, they call On Point and On Point goes and takes care of that. So one of the schools that's in close proximity to one of these overdose prevention centers in New York actually ends up calling Sam Rivera's team, the on-point team, more often than they call the police officers. Because as everyone knows, police officers tend to be very busy and sometimes the response times aren't the best. So this team can immediately respond um, to a school and deal with that situation. We had a situation at Marshall a few months ago where a homeless individual was using in the mission, kind of ended up near a school, totally freaked out all the kids and teachers. They called for the police department. The police department didn't show up. An hour went by. Um, and so this is kind of a situation where this would be so incredibly helpful. Um, so that's kind of what we're looking at. And if we do need to set limitations moving forward, we can always revisit this ordinance. It's not like the end-all, be-all if we repeal it. Um, but as of right now, in terms of just getting these up and running, we think it would be a good idea to essentially repeal it. Thank you. Anyone um, else? Um, can I add a question? Yeah. Uh, thanks. So you mentioned that um, these overdose prevention sites are you know, an effective tool of harm reduction. And I think we can all agree that it's great to, 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 to decrease open-air drug use and decrease the number of overdo overdose deaths. But I'm wondering, because yeah. you mentioned at one point that um, these sites maybe allow individuals to at some point um, like 
um, vocalize their, you know, them, their desire to move into actual treatment beyond just overdose prevention? Have we actually seen that happen? Because you know, as much as overdose prevention is, is great, it's, I think the ultimate goal is abstinence, as you mentioned. So how do we actually make sure that happens People don't just and people don't just continue using these sites. Right. I think, like I said, it is a continuum of care, and essentially you kind of have to meet people where they're at, and that is part of harm reduction, right? Not everybody comes in and says, okay, I'm ready to go into detox right now, right? But when they come into these centers and they build the sense of community, they're meeting with case managers, I mean, On Point has like acupuncture and all this holistic health as well. We're hoping we could at least get to, get them to the contemplation phase so that we can ultimately get them to abstinence because that is the goal, right? And so we have to work closely with our Department of Public Health as well to make sure that we have enough beds, that our Office of Coordinated Care is running efficiently. So the second they say, okay, I'm ready to go into detox, which is essentially the first step into getting them into long-term treatment, we're there and we're ready for it. But this is just the pre-contemplation initial phase of this continuum of care to get individuals who are on the streets and say, I'm not ready for treatment. I don't want to do that. I just want to sit outside and use, right? To bring them inside and start creating that sense of trust and creating that bond so that we can move them through the continuum and ultimately get them to abstinence. Great. Thank you so much. Are there any other questions? Um, if not, we will move to take action on this, possibly. Um, but thank you so much for coming and taking your time to present to us today. It was really helpful. Um, does anyone have any motions to not take a position, support? Can I? Not support? I'd yeah. like to make a motion to support this legislation with a recommendation to do research on whether the center should be around like schools or youth centers. Great. Any seconds? Seconded? Commissioner, oh. Oh. <laughs> oh. Second. Yeah, but you can second if you want. Oh, okay. Commissioner Shaw, second. Okay. <laughs> um, Commissioner Colleen motions to support the ordinance um, with the recommendation that there be more research done around um, if the supervised consumption sites should take place near schools. Or what was the other thing? Youth, you like youth centers or organizations. Or, you, or, or around youth centers and organizations, seconded by Commissioner Shaw. Um, is there any public comment on that motion? You sure. Do you have a question on the motion? Oh, I was just curious um, why we're looking to like research further. I don't know. It sounds like um, based on what the presenter said is like that they've actually had like positive impact. Like, I guess it's fine to research more, but I'm just curious, like, do you have a specific concern? I mean, I, I asked for that to be included. Um, we were given one specific example that sounds good, but I think that there's more research to be done. Um, I also yeah. would like to hear from local schools to see how they feel, especially considering that they're the ones who often are dealing with people who are using. So I, I, I think I don't even have an opinion. I, I, I my, my opinion may end up being that we should have these as near to schools as we possibly can. Um, but I think it would be worth advising the Board of Supervisors to keep that in mind and do that research moving forward. Yeah, I don't know. I'm fine with it. I just 
feel like like I don't know it's gonna like if you ask a school they're gonna say or like you ask anyone they're gonna be like you know it's like when you try to put like the homeless navigation centers everywhere and there's big you know nimbyism from it so I just feel like it kind of opens the door to that but I feel like it's important to take into like public opinions and like their voices hear what they have to say and also New York and San Francisco are very different from each other so I mean, what may be good in New York may not be good in San Francisco. The public can always make public comment when the Board of Supervisors <laughs> hear this. Any other questions on the motion? Seeing none, staff, can you please take a roll call vote? Yes, um, on that motion, Commissioner Wong. Aye. Commissioner Wong. Aye. Commissioner Adair. Aye. Commissioner Adair. Aye. Commissioner Loftus. Aye. Commissioner Loftus. Aye. Commissioner Miller. Aye. Commissioner Miller. Aye. Officer Lasana. Aye. Officer Lasana. Aye. Commissioner Anish. Aye. Commissioner Anish. Aye. Uh, Officer Udding. Aye. Officer Udding. Aye. Commissioner Colleen. Aye. Commissioner Colleen. Aye. Commissioner Pimentel. Aye. Commissioner Pimentel. Aye. Um, Vice Chair Barker Plummer. Aye. Vice Chair Barker Plummer. Aye. Officer Hum. Aye. Officer Hum. Aye. Officer Shaw. Aye. Officer Shaw. Aye. Commissioner M. Aye. Commissioner M. Aye. Commissioner Hillman. Aye. Commissioner Hillman. Aye. And then Chair Wynn. Aye. Chair Wynn. Aye. Chair, you have 15 ayes. The motion passes. Great. Thank you. Congrats to Commissioner Colleen on her motion. And thank you, Nikita, so much um, again for coming today and talking to us. We'll be sure to email you if we have any further questions. Um, but thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs> have a nice rest of your day. Um, you I was thinking we could take a five-minute break before we move on to the next agenda item. Can I ask that we take a break after we finish the legislation referred and before we start the resolutions? Uh, this is like the last one. Okay. I can go really fast. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That works too. Can I take a point of personal privilege? Go ahead. Um, okay. Passing it off to you, Alondra. Cool, okay. Well, um, just to preface, I'm not a subject matter expert on this, um, but this is uh, the legislation referred that was tabled at our last meeting, file number 221290, hearing to discuss and understand the scope of and proposed solutions to family and newcomer uh, family homelessness for students and families in the San Francisco Unified School District and requesting the District Department of Homelessness and Supporting Housing, Office of Civic Engagement and Immigrant Affairs, Dolores Street Community Services, and one of these horsemen stay over program to report. Um, from the findings um, in the annual report on students and families experience homelessness action plan, um, in resolution number 175-23A1, um, the district uh, board of trust, board of education, sorry, it's too many elected officials out there. Um, <laughs> is that an official position? I was like, what, is, or what are they? Board of education commissioners. Um, their report included outcomes for homelessness students, including students living in SROs, um, which may include but are not limited to school attendance, student achievement test results, promotion and retention rates by grade level, uh, graduation rates, suspension slash expulsion rates, um, goals or specific actions identified 
um, in the report. Um, then um, they also have a board policy, um, which is number 6173, which is the McKinney-Vento Act. Um, it is a federal law that was created to eliminate barriers that students experiencing homelessness were facing in terms of enrollment, attendance, and success in schools. So the district has um, a mandate um, to help students facing homelessness, um, especially when it comes to enrollment, attendance, and being successful in schools. Sorry, I highlighted a bunch of stuff. Okay, no more of that. Um, with the Department of Homelessness and Supportive Housing, um, in their report, um, they mentioned that in 2022, 80% of family households um, known in coordinated entry uh, were BIPOC. So coordinated entry is um, just families experience homelessness who um, are trying to you know, be stable, have a, a, a stable housing. Um, San Francisco families experience homelessness. So um, they took a poll. Uh, so 205 families with 605 members are experiencing homelessness um, starting in 2022. 87% um, of those families were sheltered and 13% were unsheltered. Um, the Department of Homelessness um, mentioned that job loss was the most frequently cited cause of homelessness, which is 23%. Um, and their method, methodological change um, is that they call families on the waiting list for housing and in need of shelter to ensure that they were counted um, in this poll. Um, they also have 2021 data uh, since um, they mentioned that in the pandemic, it was a little bit hard to find information for their data for, from families um, that the data includes that 2,601 students experienced homelessness in the district in 2021. And this is um, including families living in SRO units um, and doubling up in households. And um, roughly um, 1,200 families are enrolled in this coordinated entry um, throughout 202 families that make up 10% of enrollments. Um, there's also a few supportive housings uh, for families. So the family supportive housing inventory, um, there's roughly 150 uh, units for existing families, um, rapid rehousing slots, which is roughly 620, and there's only 250 emergency housing vouchers. Um, but they're trying to expand this in 2023 with 193 uh, site-based units, um, also having roughly 149 flexible housing subsidy uh, pool slots and now 70 family housing ladder slots. Um, there's also going to be new sites for um, housing. So um, the market, which will include 40 units for families, uh, movements will be completed by February, end of February of 2023. Um, 681 Florida Street, which includes 39 additional units for families. Um, and then City Gardens, which will be uh, lease-ups um, for 193 units for families. Um, they also have a partnership um, with SFUSD, um, which is the Buena Vista um, Horseman Family Shelter. Um, as of December 2022, 60 families uh, were occupying um, since this was uh, the pre-COVID capacity. 
um, but they're hoping to expand to, um, sorry, 60 people, not 60 families, uh, but they're hoping to expand um, to 69 people, which is roughly 19 families for this winter. Um, in the SFUSD report uh, for the future state, they want to continue to clarify that the supports that exist through the city, uh, community-based organizations and partners are shared widely among students and families. Um, so having additional um, eviction assistance, reallocation assistance who are eligible for rapid rehousing opportunities versus other long-term housing supports. So basically, they have all these different programs, but they need additional support to maintain them. Um, and that includes you know, um, hiring individuals, uh, financial assistance as well, and just also room for, for families experiencing um, homelessness. Um, they hope that the district hopes to coordinate effectively with the Department of Homelessness um, for referrals to rehousing, not just immediate supports, a clear communication in the case management system, um, continued point of contact with larger agencies. So I know they've partnered with Hamilton Families uh, Compass Points, which are community-based organizations. Um, clear and broader access to asynchronous um, information. So uh, Google Classroom information for Linkline, which I think is just a resource in the district. Um, and also funds for students returning to school and redesign and placement within the district uh, shifts. And then from the Dolores Street Community Services, um, they um, deal more with family newcomer family, family homelessness. Um, their current snapshot is they have roughly 10 families, which is 42 participants in the program. Um, two, no, three families are from Peru, uh, three families are from Nicaragua, um, one family is from El Salvador, another family is from Guatemala, another family is from South African uh, background, and then the uh, tenth family is uh, Slavic. All of these are newcomer families, which newcomer basically means that uh, they're from a different country and they come to San Francisco and they may not speak the language, they may not have an income, a house, um, and so they need to house these families. Um, a lot of the newcomer homelessness and push factors in the family is number one has been evictions. Um, families are being unlawfully evicted, undocumented families are particularly vulnerable. Oftentimes they don't have a lease or are opting for self-eviction out of the fear that the landlord will call ICE. Families living together in multiple family households are being evicted, either argument amongst family or the landlord finds um, that they're breaking the lease agreement and housing tenants not on the lease. Some of these families live out of their vehicles till this day. A second um, factor for the push in family newcomer homelessness is also COVID. So the head of the household or multiple members of the household have lost their job. So either the single parent or one of the parents had to stay home to take care of their children during the pandemic and they're unable to make rent and were evicted. Many have not been able to secure employment to this day. Um, another push um, for the uh, factors in family and newcomer homelessness is um, a lot of them have been reallocating to San Francisco for jobs. So families are reallocating from other parts of California, mainly from the Central Valley and rural uh, communities um, to live here. Um, and those families, majority of them are living in their vehicles. 
Um, for four is their newcomer. So newly arrived immigrants, uh, families arriving with their suitcases in their hands. Some of their families have paid smugglers known as coyotes as a substantial amount of money. Some were promised to host families and jobs, but uh, some are, had just been released from detention centers. So families are reporting sleeping on BART trains or public parks as well. And the last uh, part is domestic violence. So many of the families who are experiencing homelessness in the district are families leaving domestic violence situations and there's just no room in DV shelters to house them. And then there's also additional um, situations that may happen like due to safety. So here are some of the proposed solutions. So increase um, the budget amount for addressing family newcomer homelessness within the Department of Homelessness. Have all city departments track and report on services provided to unhoused families. So there, we're asking what percentage of each department's budget serves unhoused children, youth, and their parents, caregivers. Um, they want to see a newcomer uh, welcome center with wraparound services, creating a um, the services within this newcomer facility, which would include shelter, immigration and legal services, intense case management, family mental health services, a health center, dental services, social services, ESL classes, and childcare programs. And then also they would like to see a legal empowerment project, so a legal education and empowerment program for newcomers. So that is a whole shell of the hearing for um, uh, family and youth homelessness in SFUSD schools. Um, this hearing already happened. Um, and basically, if there's any additional questions you may have regarding uh, youth homelessness and student homelessness in SFUSD schools, um, we can, y'all can chat about it and we can send this as part of the official memo. Yes. I just have a question. Do you know if there's any, if there's going to be like any family voice, like any families are going to present or like share their story? So, um, or I guess this already happened. It happened. So it was just um, the report from SFUSD schools, a presentation from the Department of Homelessness and Housing. Supportive housing. Oh, that's where the S comes from. Supportive housing. Um, I always wondered. Um, and then it was a presentation from. Oh, yes, yes. Uh, Dolores Street Community Services, which were, um, had like the data that they met with parents. Oh, okay. Um, and it's parents living in the Buena Vista housing, okay, which you. is like a partnership that they have with the district. Any other questions? Um, also, I'd like to add that like we were originally supposed to do this hearing with the D9 office. So um, I'm not sure if we can add this in our recommendation, but just like that the youth, like the youth commission be considered and prioritized when it comes to holding these hearings, because I think it would have been a great opportunity for us to like host this with the office, but we weren't able to due to it not being officially referred, I'm pretty sure. So I think moving forward, I'd also like to add in the recommendation that we get it officially referred next time. So this was referred. Um, the issue was that um, the full commission wouldn't be able to have met quorum. Because it was during school hours? Yes. Okay, so uh, yeah, I'd like to request that it happens after school hours next time so we can be a part of it. Yeah. Also noting that you could also have other students come on public comment at that time too. It is a matter that 
is directly related to youth, so I think that there is precedent for having it be held at like 4 p.m. or after. Mm. Agreed. Do we need to make a motion? Um, well, we, should we still support it even though it's already happened? Like, yeah, um, yeah, just because it was a hearing, um, it, it could mean that, you know, the supervisor who called the hearing or any supervisor who sits on the Youth, Young Adult, and Families Committee can put out legislation to address this. Um, Y'all can also have commentary for the district. Oh, my God, I almost put my eye out. Um, the district or the Department of Homelessness. Um, so... Yeah, since it's a hearing, there's like many different individuals involved. Y'all can direct your commentary there. Um, yeah. Um, a question I had was, I know you mentioned that there was a mandate for SFUSD to help students facing homelessness. Um, I'm just curious about like what that mandate has looked like and like how they've achieved their metrics in terms of actually supporting students and like what the data on that looks like. I'm not sure if that's that was talked about in the hearing, but if you have access to that, you could send it to me or we could forward it as a question. Y'all should have this, um, the like the report. Mm. Hopefully it didn't get lost with the other millions of things we shared out. Um, but they here it has their 1920 outcomes, uh, pandemic pivots. From when I read this, they said that a lot of the data was skewed because of COVID. Um, but they still tried to um, have like the data. So they have, sorry, I have like a lot of stuff here. Um, yes, so outcomes data. No, there is no academic data because um, SBAC, which I believe is like one of like the, the committees from the uh, Board of Education was canceled in 2020. I think it's a standardized, That's standardized yeah, test. It's a test. They make you take it for um, students. middle school oh. and I think elementary so they school. Have, they have no data on what happened like because the ASPAC test was canceled in the pandemic. Oh, well, yeah. they should clarify acronyms here. <laughs> um, so I guess there was just no academic data there, but there is some data um, regarding like race, ethnicity, uh, school type, um, if it's special education, if it's like an English learner. Um, and then there's just like learning outcomes from the programs, what they've done, um, which schools have done things. Um, they also spotlight uh, an elementary school, Hillcrest, which has a Parents as Partners Week during the beginning of the school year. Um, so there is some data. It's just probably not the data y'all are asking for. Yes. So when it says county or court school, is that is that just a normal like public school? Because I don't know. My understanding was like that the, a county school is like it's like Woodside like education center like part of like juvenile justice is a county school or like downtown high school is a county school as opposed to. But does that just mean regular SFUSD school? Because I don't know why they say county or court. I don't know if you know. Sorry. I do not know. I'm trying to see if there's any explanation here, which there isn't. But I can um, try to find that information. Thanks. Okay. Are there any other questions? Um, if not, I motion to support this hearing um, with my question regarding outcomes. And what was my other question? So long ago. Other schools, not just Oh, yeah, yeah. 
Oh, yeah, yeah. I had a question. Um, well, I think that's been clarified because it, it has the mandate, but yeah, it's fine. Um, yeah, just my question about outcomes. Did I have another question? I feel like I asked you another question. Hayden just asked a, a question that I will be adding to the memo. Okay, okay yeah, those questions. Um, and if there's any other questions too, like y'all technically have until tomorrow morning mm -hmm. to send those. Um, yeah. Great. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Any seconds? Seconded. Okay. Commissioner Collins. Commissioner Wynn motions to approve the hearing with the added comments and questions, seconded by Commissioner Collin. Um, is there any public comment on this motion? If members of the public would like to speak and have not already done so, please line up behind the podium or press star three or raise your hand in the WebEx app. Chair, you have no public comment. Great, thank you. Uh, staff, can you please take a roll call vote on the motion? On the motion, in Commissioner Wong. Aye. Wong, aye. Commissioner Adair. Aye. Adair, aye. Commissioner Loftus. Aye. Loftus, aye. Commissioner Miller. Aye. Miller, aye. Officer Lastana. Aye. Lastana, aye. Commissioner Anish. Aye. Anish, aye. Officer Udding. Aye. Udding, aye. Commissioner Colleen. Aye. Colleen, aye. Commissioner Pimentel. Aye. Pimentel, aye. Um, Vice Chair Barker Plummer. Oh, aye. Vice Chair Parker Plummer, I don't remember what I said. Aye. Vice Chair Parker Plummer, aye. Um, Officer Hum. Aye. Hum, aye. Officer Shaw. Aye. Shaw, aye. A Commissioner M. Aye. M, aye. Commissioner Hillman. Aye. Hillman, aye. Chair Wynn. Aye. Chair Wynn, aye. Chair, you have 15 ayes. This motion passes. Great. This motion now passes. Um, I think we can take a five-minute break and come back at 7.30. Uh, huh? Okay. All those in favor, please say aye. 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 Okay. All those opposed, say nay. Great. <laughs> yes. Uh, marking 7.35 p.m., uh, Commissioner Wong. Present. Commissioner Wong, present. Commissioner Adair. Uh, present. Commissioner Adair, present. Commissioner Loftus. Present. Commissioner Loftus, present. Commissioner Miller. Present. Commissioner Miller, present. Uh, Officer Lestana. Present. Officer Lestana, present. Commissioner Anish. Present. Commissioner Anish, present. Uh, Officer Udding. Present. Officer Udding, present. Uh, Commissioner Colleen. Present. Commissioner Colleen, present. Commissioner Pimentel. Present. Commissioner Pimentel, present. Vice Chair Barker Plummer. Present. Vice Chair Barker Plummer, present. Officer Hum. Present. Officer Hum, present. Officer Shaw. Present. Officer Shaw, present. Commissioner M. Present. Commissioner M, present. Commissioner Hillman. Present. Commissioner Hillman, present. And the Chair Wynn. Present. Chairwin present. Uh, chair, everyone is here. Great. Thanks for being here. Um, <laughs> Click, can you please call item number eight? Item number eight is resolutions A, sexual harassment and assault resolution, second reading and possible action. B, BART Youth Clipper resolution, first reason, first, oh my god, first reading and possible action. And C, Vision Zero resolution, first reading and possible action. Great, thank you. Uh, I'll pass it off to 
Commissioners Barker Plummer, M. Loftus, Colin, myself, Hum, and Miller. How do you want people to read out this resolution? Um, <clears throat> I don't know if Commissioner Hum is able to read it out. It's okay if not, like if that situation is, if you're just in class or something. I don't know. I mean, I don't know what you're doing. But, <laughs> but I don't, I mean, if you want to, you can, but. Commissioner Hum, any comments? Yeah, okay. So then I think we'll just go through based on the list and read alternating. Um, um, sorry to interject. I unfortunately am not able to contribute to the reading right now. I okay. don't have stable enough Wi-Fi to pull up the, um, the document on my screen. Sorry. Okay, that's okay. Um, I didn't realize you were online as well, but obviously because you're not here. Um, Thank you. So... <laughs> No. Okay. I'm just joking. Um, so I think we'll go we'll go that way. Um, before we begin, I think we talked a little bit about this last week, why we're doing, or last reading, why we are um, introducing this. Um, I will say that we have a commitment from Supervisor Malgora via Twitter that she is going to introduce um, the Safer Schools Task Force, I think, tomorrow. Um, and so we're already seeing results that this hasn't even passed yet, but um, it is working and there are other recommendations that this now gives us the basis to move on with. Um, I'll also just say thank you. We had a lot of feedback at the first reading, which was not last for youth commission meeting, but the commission meeting before. All of it was incredibly helpful to expand this resolution. Um, I think we included most, if not all, of the recommendations and um, I think everyone really can, kind of has had their own part in making this resolution as strong as it is. So with that, I will um, begin reading, then we'll go to Commissioner Loftus, Commissioner Colleen, then to Commissioner Wynn, then to Commissioner Hum, then Commissioner Miller. Okay. Sexual Assault and Harassment in Schools, resolution urging the San Francisco Unified School District and the City and County of San Francisco to increase transparency about the Title IX reporting process to protect and create effective support systems for victims of sexual assault and harassment, urging San Francisco schools to implement and invest in healthy relationship and sexual assault and harassment prevention education, and urging the San Francisco Board of Supervisors to restart the Safer Schools Task Force with adequate youth representation. Whereas, sexual assault and harassment both between students and between adults and students has been a consistent and pervasive issue in San Francisco Unified School District, SFURSD schools, San Francisco Charter Schools, and San Francisco Independent Schools, and Whereas multiple forms of student protest and collective action have taken place for over two decades demanding action and resources with large-scale walkouts from SFUSD and independent high schools in December 2021 and Whereas in 2005 the San Francisco Youth Commission in co collaboration with the SFUSD Student Advisory Council produced a report on sexual assault and harassment in San Francisco schools titled Youth Commission Report on Sexual Assault and Harassment in San Francisco Schools, which showed the primary factor preventing students from receiving resources and support is a disconnection between service providers and San Francisco students and... Um, where, whereas the report made general recommendations including that students be encouraged and supported to be involved with the development of policies aimed to address se sexual assault and harassment, to that 
student government organizations be engaged in work to stop sexual assault and harassment, and three, that there be greater push for full cooperation between city departments, schools, and community-based organizations, CBOs, and... Whereas this report made specific recommendations to the department on the status of women, including one, that the department implement a student-oriented public service announcement campaign, two, that the department facilitate the outreach of and use of CBOs with San Francisco schools, and three, that the department aids schools in training teachers on student-to-student -student sexual assault and harassment, and four, that the department aids schools in enriching curricula for all grade levels and... Whereas this report made specific recommendations to the Department of Public Health, including one, that the department maintain or increase funding for student counseling, and two, that the department expand the intimate partner violence screening protocol to all public and private health clinics and hospitals, and... Whereas this report made a specific recommendation to the Department of Children, Youth, and Their Families, DCYF, that the department distribute information about preventing and responding to sexual assault and harassment, including information on how to identify sexual assault and harassment, how to report incidents of sexual assault and harassment, and how to access counseling services, and... Whereas, this report made specific recommendations to public, private, and charter schools in San Francisco, including one, that they ensure they are in compliance with Title IX of the Education Amendment of 1972, and two, that they should fully cooperate with any valuable support from outside sources, particularly CBOs, and... Whereas, in April 2016, the San Francisco Board of Supervisors passed and Mayor Edwin Lee signed legislation file number 150944, ordinance number 89-16, sponsored by Supervisor Jane Kim, to create the Safer School Sexual Assault Task Force and set out membership requirements for the 10 seats and... Whereas the legislation made the San Francisco Department on the Status of Women responsible, <laughs> responsible for providing... <laughs> Sorry. <Pretty> good. <laughs> For providing administrative support and staff, the task force through a consultant who began in October 2016. And whereas the task force made the overarching recommendations of one, establishing an ongoing task force and staff to coordinate sexual assault prevention and response broadly, including on campus and in the broader community, and two, fully implementing state and federal laws reflecting years of work to prevent sexual assault on campus and respond effectively when it occurs and... Whereas in 2017, the Department on the Status of Women compiled the 71-page Safer Schools Sexual Assault Task Force Report and Recommendations, which did not include any specific recommendations for reducing sexual assault on all school campuses and failed to provide concrete recommendations and solutions and interviewed only 18 of the 60,263 SFUSD students at the time and it should have an and, but there isn't one here. Whereas on November 16, 2021, San Francisco youth leaders wrote a public letter to then SFUSD Superintendent Vincent Matthews, SFUSD Board of Education Commissioners, and SFUSD administrators to support and amplify, amplify demands from student activists at Lowell High School and Ruth Asawa San Francisco School of the Arts, as well as numerous other San Francisco middle and high schools, including one, protecting and creating effective support systems for victims of sexual assault and harassment, even if abuse occurred off-site. Two, increasing transparency about the Title IX reporting process and other reporting processes for sexual assault and or harassment. Three, providing students with more physical and mental support, especially during the documenting process to not re-traumatize the victim. 
Four, avoiding and condemning victim blaming. Five, prioritizing and validating student voice when sharing incidents of sexual assault and or harassment without demanding physical violence. Six, mandating that school sites transfer assaulters out of any classes and or extracurricular activities with their victims, ensuring that responsibility does not fall upon the survivor to avoid their assaulter. Seven, holding attackers accountable for trying to contact survivors after the incident, including but not limited to not allowing them to participate on sports teams and extracurriculars, suspension or expulsion. And eight, taking every report of sexual violence seriously and investigating it to the fullest extent that the survivor is comfortable with. And Whereas, reporting from KQED from February 2021 shows that sexual assault and harassment at SFUSD high schools has been swept under the rug, and there has been grave neglect from the Lowell High School administration to take action in complaints and accusations made by colleagues and students accusing a teacher of sexual harassment who was able to continue to teach with only a verbal reprimand and... Whereas reporting from the San Francisco Chronicle and the San Francisco Standard in August 2022 shows serious allegations that an SFUSD athletic director at George Washington High School who had been accused of sexual abuse despite law enforcement being contacted and an active lawsuit was permitted to, quote, quietly resign and... Whereas research and expert advice shows the need for age-appropriate relationship education, including personal boundaries and healthy relationships between peers beginning in early education and... Whereas... Sorry. Um, on October 27th. Thank you. <laughs> Whereas on October 27th, 2022, over a dozen students demanded a response to sexual harassment and assault from San Francisco Schools Administration at a Board of Supervisors committee hearing called by Supervisor Mirna Melgar to determine what role the city plays and what more it can do to intervene and... Oh. Uh, whereas at this hearing, student organizers restated their demands for SFUSD to one, uh, for one, creating and uh, presenting lessons starting in elementary school about consent over verbal and physical interactions in health curriculum, two, making mandatory consent orientations for all student athletes and the requirement that athletic coaches undergo the same training as district employees, and three, uh, making information about Title IX uh, accessible to students via posters on campus and uh, in digital school platforms, along with um, guaranteeing that a list of resources is given to sexual assault and or harassment survivors and. <clears throat> Whereas on December 1st, 2022, the Youth Commission in collaboration with the Office of Sexual Harassment and Assault Response and Prevention, SHARP, and the Human Rights Commission hosted a town hall on sexual violence and gender-based violence to focus on the needs of youth slash students regarding safety and healing from all forms of sexual violence and. Whereas in this youth town hall, there was various youth slash student age range that attended and discussed four main questions. One, what is safety? What does it look slash feel like? What does safety look like at home slash community slash school? Two, what tools slash resources are needed in supporting young survivors of sexual assault, both short term and long term? Three, what tools slash resources are needed to present, prevent sexual violence from happening in the first place? And four, which demands do we want to work on? And Whereas the main takeaways from these discussions were one, San Francisco needs to focus on prevent preventative work in, the, in early education, 
Two, San Francisco must get to the root of the problem and actually implement classes, lesson plans, workshops, etc. in schools and implement all of the practical tools to be able to move forward the work on stopping sexual assault and harassment. Three, conversations regarding sexual assault and harassment must go deeper than beyond just the surface. Four, the creation of an app or website with all the information needed to receive support and resources after experiencing sexual assault and or harassment. And four, restarting the Safer Schools Task Force with youth and community participation and... Whereas it is long overdue that San Francisco addresses this pervasive and long-lasting impact on our youth slash students, hears their voices and takes action, now therefore be it. Resolved that the 2022 to 2023 San Francisco Youth Commission publicly states its support for all victims of sexual assault and or harassment in San Francisco schools and calls on that the city and county of San Francisco, San Francisco Unified School District, San Francisco Charter Schools, and San Francisco Independent Schools to reevaluate their responses to and prevention policies for sexual assault and harassment and be it. Further resolved that the 2022-2023 San Francisco Youth Commission urges the San Francisco Unified School District, San Francisco Charter Schools, San Francisco Independent Schools, and City and County of San Francisco um, to address and implement aforementioned demands shared by the student activists at Lowell High School, Ruth Asawa San Francisco School of the Arts, and numerous other San Francisco middle and high schools in 2021 and be it. Further resolved that the 2022 to 2023 San Francisco Youth Commission urges the San Francisco Board of Supervisors to restart the Safer Schools Sexual Assault Task Force while including adequate voice, youth voice and representation for middle and high school students aged 10 to 18 and for college slash higher education student, students ages 18 to 24, as well as policymakers, volunteers, experts, parents, stakeholders, and survivors, and do so in consultation with the Youth Commission and be it. Further resolved, the 2022-2023 the San Francisco Youth Commission urges the San Francisco Board of Supervisors to make the Human Rights Commission, particularly the Office of Sexual Harassment and Assault Response and Prevention, and the Department on the Status of Women responsible per, for providing administrative support and staffing to the Safer Schools Sexual Assault Task Force, and be it. Further resolved that the 2022-2023 San Francisco Youth Commission urges the San Francisco Board of Supervisors to maintain the Safer Schools Sexual Assault Task Force continuously to provide oversight and resources over the issue of sexual assault and or harassment in schools and be it. Further resolved that the 2022-2023 San Francisco Youth Commission urges the Board of Supervisors Public Safety and Neighborhood Services Committee to work with SFUSD to adopt mandatory training for youth, education, and school site staff on the definitions of sexual assault, harassment and assault, reporting procedures, supporting students, and identifying and preventing these crimes, and be it. Further resolved that the 2022-2023 San Francisco Youth Commission strongly urges that these mandatory trainings for youth educators and school site staff aforementioned be conducted at least once per year and be it. Further resolved that the 2022-2023 Youth Commission strongly urges that these aforementioned uh, mandatory trainings be interactive and conducted in a safe environment to promote conversation and learning and recommends that schools coordinate these trainings with the appropriate CBOs and city departments and be it. <clears throat> Further resolved that the 2022-2023 San Francisco Youth Commission urges the city and county of San Francisco to foster a safe and trusting environment between the city, between the San Francisco Police Department and the youth of San Francisco 
by prioritizing and validating youth voices when sharing incidents of sexual harassment and or assault. Thank you. Further resolved that the 2022-2023 San Francisco Youth Commission urges the San Francisco Department of Police Accountability, San Francisco Unified School District, and other independent and charter schools to gather data regarding sexual harassment and or assault in reports specifically for San Francisco youth aged 15 to 25, and be it. Further resolved that the youth commission that youth commission staff are directed to transmit copies of this resolution to the office of the mayor, board of supervisors, department on the status of women, department of public health, human rights commission, police department, department of police accountability, SFUSD, SFUSD board of education, and the SFUSD student advisory council. <clears throat> okay, great. Um, thank you guys so much for your work on this resolution. Now we can take comments or suggestions from any other commissioners. I just want to thank everyone who um, wrote this resolution and for adopting the recommendations that were made at the first reading. Um, oh. oh, I had a question, but. Uh, go with your question. Okay, yeah, I was just gonna, um, the part about independent schools, I know we usually don't include that language because we don't have jurisdiction over independent schools. Um, so, or the Board of Supervisors doesn't have jurisdiction, so. Why? Because they're private. They so, get funding from the city. That's true, but that doesn't mean that the Youth Commission can't call on them to do stuff, and we should do so. I think it could be sent to them, because I know that I also use independent schools in my resolution. Mm. I mean, I don't know if we want staff to try and send this to every independent school in San Francisco. That's kind of a big ask. But I do, I do think that they're, I think it's worth us publicly calling on them to follow suit. Um, obviously, the focus of this is on SFUSD and SF charter schools, mm -hmm. and specifically what the city and county can do in regards to that. But, um, you know, we, we've definitely called on independent schools in San Francisco to do to take actions before. Um, and I will say okay. that, it, you know, at least at my school, that does have some weight to it. Okay. That sounds good. Yeah, I was just curious. Um, and then the other, the clause about making the Human Rights Commission responsible for administering the task force, I, I read in the report that they were already responsible for the last one. Um, so is it necessary to include this again? Well, if we're creating a new one, I assume so. This, I think this would technically be a new task force, even though we're okay. like restarting it. Um, but my goal in doing that was also to name specifically both SHARP, <coughs> which is part of the Human Rights Commission, and also the Department of the Status of Women. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, those are pretty much all of my questions. I don't know. This one is very like procedural, but I feel like... Maybe I'm even misremembering this, but I feel like in other resolutions we say the Youth Commission of the City and County of San Francisco or something like that, that instead true. of San Francisco Youth Commission. Maybe I'm wrong. No, that's true. I'm happy to do that. <laughs> I, I don't really care either way, but I just feel like it, it would be nice if it was if, uniform. If, I'm, I'm happy to standardize it. That, that is input that I am taking in and positively <laughs> respond to. Adding on to that, does that mean that the last clause also has to, has to have that like phrase? Because it just says that youth commission staff are directed, blah, blah, blah. We don't. We don't need to urge staff. We could just. We could just tell. Them. <laughs> well, they're directed. Um, I think that. I think that that's fine. I think. I uh, will move the motion to. I okay. 
My motion is also going to include at making Commissioner Wynn a primary sponsor as opposed to a co-sponsor. That was a mistake on my part before introducing the resolution to the staff. So my motion will include that, updating Santa Cruz Youth Commission to Youth Commission of the City and County of San Francisco, um, and then any grammatical um, corrections we want to make. I think there was like one. I had a correction. Is youth aged 15, is that supposed to be capitalized in the second Where? to last paragraph? The very last sentence, it says, for San Francisco youth aged 15 to 25, but oh, both youth and aged is capitalized. I don't think so. I think that's from, I think the reason that's capitalized is that it's from like a copy pasted thing. So we can also correct that. Okay. That's a grammatical yeah. change that we can change. Would we, for the second uh, resolved clause, could we like just put a footnote of the demands just so it's like right there? Because it's probably linked somewhere else, but I don't know, just when I was reading through it, I was like, oh, I was surprised there wasn't a footnote there. To, for what? It's the second resolved clause, further resolved. That the yeah, that's in reference to one of the whereas clauses that does have a link to it. We can also include it there. Yeah, that'd be great, thanks. Okay. Um, so my motion will include all grammatical errors um, being corrected as well as adding Commissioner Wynn as a primary sponsor, as well as changing San Francisco Youth Commission to Youth Commission of the City and County of San Francisco. I second that. Great. <coughs> <coughs> Commissioner Barker Plummer motions to um, approve, approve the resolution with all of the uh, added comments and suggestions, seconded by Commissioner Colleen. Um, is there any public comment on this motion? There's no public comment. Great. Um, staff, can you please take a roll call vote? Um, on that motion, Commissioner Wong? Aye. Commissioner Wong, aye. Commissioner Adair? Aye. Commissioner Adair, aye. Commissioner Loftus? Aye. Commissioner Loftus, aye. Um, Commissioner Miller? Aye. Commissioner Miller, aye. Officer Lasana? Aye. Officer Lasana, aye. Commissioner Anish? Are you finally reading the Aye. Commissioner Anish, aye. Commission Officer Udding? Aye. Officer Udding, aye. Commissioner Colleen? Aye. Commissioner Colleen, aye. Commissioner Pimentel? Aye. Commissioner Pimentel, aye. Vice Barker Plummer? Aye. Vice Barker Plummer, aye. Officer Hum? Aye. Officer Hum, aye. Officer Shaw? Aye. Officer Shaw, aye. Commissioner M? Aye. Commissioner M, aye. Commissioner Hillman? Aye. Commissioner Hillman, aye. And then Chair Wynn? Aye. Chair Wynn, aye. Chair, you have 15 ayes. The motion passes. Great. Thank you. Congrats to um, Commissioner Barker Plummer, uh, M. Loftus, Colleen, myself, Hum, and Miller for all of your work on this resolution. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing the task force being restarted again and continuing our advocacy on the topic. Um, Moving to the next resolution, the BART Youth Clipper resolution. Um, Commissioner Adair, do you need help reading this, or are you good? Um, I think I'm happy, I'm happy to read it by myself. OK, great. Yeah. I'll try Go ahead. quickly. Um, just beginning with the title, which is, what would it be? We'll need the microphone for this. <laughs> Let's actually move this even closer. Um, just beginning with the title, which is a little bit of a placeholder. I kind of added it in after writing the rest of the resolution, so that's very amendable to change. I'll just begin now. Um, resolution urging the city and county of San Francisco to take action in order to increase the affordability and accessibility of youth clipper cards for youth living in San Francisco. 
Whereas Bay Area Rapid Transit, or BART, has been a prominent form of public transportation in the San Francisco Bay Area since it began serving riders in October 1972, and whereas, as of January 2023, BART has expanded to serve San Francisco, San Mateo, Alameda, Contra Costa, and Santa Clara counties with 50 different stations across the Bay Area, and whereas, BART serves as a crucial means of transportation for approximately 100,000 individuals every day, including youth, oftentimes providing the only form of access for individuals to attend work, school, or other essential functions. And whereas increasing the accessibility of BART would facilitate San Francisco reaching its goal of 80% of all San Francisco trips, being low carbon examples walking, biking, and public transit, as outlined in the city's 2021 climate action plan, and whereas a recent BART financial outlook and ridership report found that the total BART ridership during the first six months of 2022 hovered between 24 and 37 percent of its pre-pandemic averages. And whereas the Youth Clipper Card program provides individuals between the ages of 5 and 18 with a 50 percent fare discount on BART and thus advances opportunities for convenient, affordable public transportation for youth in San Francisco as well as in the greater Bay Area. And whereas San Francisco's free Muni for All Youth program in August 2021 allowed youth under the age of 19 to ride Muni free of charge without proof of age or the use of a Clipper card and thus reduce the demand for Clipper cards among youth living in San Francisco. And whereas according to BART director Janice Lee, the process of obtaining a youth Clipper card online is unacceptably slow as it requires applicants to wait up to eight weeks to receive a Clipper card in the mail. And whereas youth clipper cards cannot be purchased at the dozens of self-serve machines and Walgreens locations in San Francisco that only sell adult clipper cards, and whereas youth clipper cards can only be obtained in person at one of five locations within San Francisco, all operating with limited hours that make it difficult or impossible with youth for, uh, for youth with certain work or school schedules to access this means of purchasing a youth clipper card, and whereas according to the Institute of Policy Studies, Two of the key drivers of fare evasion when public transportation riders do not pay the legally required fare are inconvenient or broken fare collection systems and poverty, the former of which is exacerbated by the difficulty that youth face in obtaining clipper cards. And whereas the finances of BART are harmed by fare evasion, with between $15 and $25 lost every million dollars lost every year due to the practice, some of which can be attributed to accessibility and convenience barriers as opposed to a willful, dis willful disinterest in paying for transit. And whereas BART records from fiscal year 2019 show that youth under the age of 20 are disproportionately targeted by fare evasion officers with 1,507 citations issued to teenagers on BART, and whereas among youth on BART, 77.8% of citations in fiscal year 2019 were issued to black and Latinx youth posing an undue burden on these communities inconsistent with the demographics of BART ridership. And whereas BART spent $90 million on its next generation fare gates with the express purpose of making fare evasion more difficult, proving that the energy towards attempting to directly curb fare evasion is an expensive undertaking that is not worth the cost and is energy that should be directed elsewhere to address the root cause of the issue. 
and whereas the Metropolitan Transportation Commission with BART and other transit agencies which use the Clipper Card launched a two-year pilot program to provide 50,000 Bay Area residents with the Clipper Bay Pass providing tree free transit services to all across the region and whereas the passes will be distributed to select students at San Francisco State University, San Jose State University, the University of California's Berkeley campus, and Santa Rosa Junior College, and then expanded to include residents of select affordable housing communities managed by Mid-Pen Housing. Now, therefore, let it be resolved that the 2022-2023 San Francisco Youth Commission urges the city and county of San Francisco to fund the opening of more in-person service locations within the city for the purpose of allowing the easier purchase of youth clipper cards. And be it further resolved that the 2022-2023 San Francisco Youth Commission urges the city and county of San Francisco to formally request that Clipper extend the hours of operation of its in-person service locations within the city, especially on Saturdays and Sundays. And be it further resolved that the 2022-2023 San Francisco Youth Commission urges the city and county of San Francisco to formally request for BART to expand its Bay Pass pilot program to include SFUSD high school students and be it further resolved that the San Francisco Youth Commission formally calls on the Board of Supervisors to urge BART police to examine the effectiveness of its fair evasion policies, recognize any disparate enforcement outcomes across different ages and racial groups, and shift its focus to addressing the root cause of root causes of fair evasion and educating the public as opposed to solely focusing on levying fines against those found in violation of BART's fair enforcement policies and be it further resolved that the 2022-2023 San Francisco Youth Commission affirms its support for youth having access to all forms of essential transportation, including BART, free of charge, and be it further resolved that the 2022-2023 San Francisco Youth Commission urges the city and county of San Francisco to provide funding for BART to conduct a thorough study on the potential costs and benefits of providing free BART to all youth up to the age of 18, and be it further resolved that this resolution be sent to the mayor, the San Francisco Board of Supervisors, the Bay Area Metropolitan Transportation Commission, the Bay Area Rapid Transit Direct Directors Board, and the San Francisco Mun Municipal Transportation Agency, or Authority. Yeah. Great, thank you so much, Commissioner Adair, for all your work on this resolution. Um, do commissioners have any comments or questions? To begin with, yes. Can I have point of privilege? Oh yeah, go ahead. Um. Hey y'all, it's a commissioner house. Hey. Um, <laughs> I am actually one of the recipients of the Bay Pass, so I do support this. Um, it has definitely been helpful. Um, if you have any questions about the Bay Pass, from my experience, please let me know. Other than that, thank you, uh, Commissioner Adair. Thank you. I have a question about something you mentioned. Um, do you know what um, the process is to selecting certain students? Like what is the, uh, what's the word? The qualifications? Qualification, criteria, criteria. <laughs> I thought it was a big Q. I think it was um, random. Yeah. Do you know like what the criteria is for what certain select students are chosen to receive this pass? Um, no, that's fine. Um, I, I will, I will Microphone. Um, I'm always happy to do further um, research on this, but yeah, I believe it is a lottery system just for these students at San Francisco State University and the rest of these 
um, institutions where they where 50,000 Bay Areans were um, have been provided with this pass. Commissioner Hum Hum amongst them. Um, so we would you know we would ask that this pilot program be expanded to include SFUSD high school students as well, so that we could um, you know get that additional demographic of youth ages 18 and under and study the benefits of this of this program. I don't know. I might just be able to add. It was, yeah, it was randomly assigned for every school except for Santa Rosa Junior College where every student received it at Santa Rosa Junior College. Do you know why? Uh, because it's, it's a much smaller institution, so they were able to do it at a cheaper cost. Because the, the pilot, pro sorry. That seems a bit unfair. Well, the pilot program was subsidized by the MTC, and I think they also wanted some geographic diversity so there may not have been as many students in uh, Sonoma County, so that was an effective way to ensure geographic diversity. Thank you. Um, I just looked it up. It said that this limited distribution is based on random assignment, and it's designed to measure the impact on travel of an all-system pass when compared to students not using Clipper Bay Pass. So it's randomly distributed. Okay. Then I would try to change the wording so that it's not like select, but like randomly assigned or something. Did you have a comment? Yeah, I have a few uh, concerns with this resolution. Um, first is clause 15. Um, it says, uh, Bot spent $90 million on this next generation fare gates with the express purpose of making fare evasion more difficult, proving that energy towards attempting to directly curb fare evasion is an expensive undertaking that is not worth the cost mm -hmm. and that energy should be directed elsewhere. I think that that's a major claim that I, okay. you know, I checked the footnote for that. That's just information on the fair gates. Um, I think that especially considering how much of Bart's budget is made up of fares, it's worth considering that, um, you know, one-time investments in upgraded infrastructure is actually more cost effective than having to employ police officers to enforce fair evasion. Um, and then, I don't know if you want to respond. Um, yeah, I, I guess I'll just add, I totally agree that, you know, I, I don't support fair evasion, but um, I don't support fair evasion, and, and you mentioned that, you know, the nine, that it, the, a one-time investment, you know, is absolutely worthy if it's able to curb that. But I just question is, is whether it's ultimately effective, because and some more of this could be added to the resolution with a second reading, but I believe BART has had multiple waves of trying to, to, to address the issue with these sorts of investments, but none of them have necessarily actually been able to stop the problem. So, so I, would, I would question whether these one-time investments, which are expensive and would be worth it if they were actually able to save BART tens of millions of dollars per year in reducing fare evasion, but if they're not able to do so, then I would absolutely question the effectiveness of the investments, and that's sort of the, um, that's sort of what's outlined here in the resolution. Can I jump in? Because I actually had a comment about that clause. Um, I, okay, when, when I read that, I was like, it is a very direct comment, but I think it would be helpful to just separate it into two clauses or maybe even more enlist the root cause because I agree with Commissioner Adair that like, I don't know, I, I mean, I think this clause is very opinionated, but it's very truthful in that like, if 
you're gonna spend $90 million on these fare gates and fare evasions are still happening at disproportionate rates. Like, is it worth it to continue investing your time and money into them? Um, so I just think um, it's very important to list out the root causes of the issues, like right after that, that, you know, BART is really inaccessible for youth currently and like the energy should be going towards ensuring that these programs and these discounts are available and accessible rather than um, investing 90 million dollars into these fair gates. Um, yeah, I, thank you and I, 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 I definitely plan on doing that separately in two clauses. One of them may be just you know to provide that numerical t statistic and then also doing more research and you know adding like some quotation or commentary about the root causes and why these sorts of you know like um, why these band-aid solutions, these investments just aren't necessarily getting the job done. Um, I, with all due respect, I still haven't seen any evidence to support the claim that it's not worth the cost. That's quite a major claim that you're making. Well, I think, um, I think we just, um, sorry, continue. Go ahead. Oh, I, I was just going to say, I think the evidence is that these fair evasions are still happening and that most of these citations are being issued to black and brown youth and I think that's enough evidence in itself that you know these citations are still happening despite all of this money and effort putting th that they're putting into these fair gates so I think you know the placement of our clauses we should reconsider but I think um, the evidence is you know spread out throughout the resolution that you know this this isn't changing anything but I, I agree with you in that we should change where it's placed so that um, there's stuff to prove it rather than just having a footnote talking about the information about the fair gates because it's like having an opinionated statement with a footnote that just talks about like what you have an opinion on which I guess doesn't really make sense but I think there is evidence throughout the whole resolution. Well I would encourage you to change what the clause says itself. Yeah I would, sorry can I? I would say to put that clause, the BART spent 90 million, right on like the first page, right after the according to the Institute of Policy Studies, because mm -hmm. then following that it talks about fair evasion and how much money has been lost, and then goes on to show more data points. So I feel like that um, order is a lot better. I will add, I still agree with Commissioner Barker Plummer that the claim that it's not worth the cost is a very strong one, and I think if you do want to make that, or keep this, it would be stronger to include more data on um, how it's impacted fair evasion. I agree. And may, maybe, maybe there's someone from BART that you could speak to about that issue specifically too to understand um, what they think about that cost, just to get another opinion. Yeah, I think it would be helpful to like provide information on the timeline as to, you know, when these fair evasion gates were implemented and then um, if there was any change to fair evasions like right after that. Um, so yeah, I agree I, with I, the These haven't been implemented yet is my understanding. So I think what the 90 so million, no what the $90 million is for is they're funding um, the initial like, what they're doing is they're putting a lot of the elevators in the system because when BART was first built, it wasn't, there wasn't the same ADA requirements we have today. Um, so a lot of the elevators were built outside the paid area of the system. So a common tactic is to go through the elevators to access the platform uh, without paying. Um, so I think it includes um, retrofitting. They put, it kind of looks like a prison cell. They put these big metal bars around them and these new like fare gates. Um, and I think they're trying to roll out that fare gate design further, but they have not secured the funding for that yet. And then my second concerns, my second set of concerns, um, 
are around, sorry, I have to count really quickly, one, two, uh, the third and fifth clauses of the resolved section. Um, the first is requesting, is having the city request for expand its Bay, Bay, Bay Pass pilot program to include SFUSD. And then the fifth is uh, affirms its support for youth having access to all forms of essential transit, including BART free of charge. I, I, what? No. Um, I agree with, I mean, this comes back to my sort of belief that ultimately I do believe that public transit should be free, particularly for youth. I think at a time when we're seeing a massive budget deficit um, and, a, and the most recent budget proposal from the governor in Sacramento includes no relief or very little relief to public transit agencies, I'm just not sure it's a good idea to at this time ask them to basically give free fares to, you know, what, two-thirds of SF, SF students or SFUSD students? Two-thirds of young people in San Francisco, a little bit less than that. Um, and um, to to be pushing for free BART right now, I think for the second one, for further, I think that we could we could, I would it, it would be good to adjust that to say like, you know. I, I just think that ultimately we should be prioritizing effective service and getting young people where they need to go, and I'd rather have there be some charge to that to maintain that service rather than taking away service in order to do that. And then the first one, I'm just not sure if that's a practical thing to ask for right now. Okay, so I'll, I'll add a couple things here. And first of all, thanks so much for this, you know, feedback. It, it helps. Um, thank you, thank you, thank you for letting me know about that. And um, thank you so much for this feedback. It's, it's really helpful because I, I definitely want to make this resolution, you know, stronger. But, okay, so first of all, on the, um, on the, in terms of the Bay Pass pilot program, I guess we'd probably want to add language that they would, these students would be included in, in the lottery so that we could at least study the impact of, oh. at least, so, I mean, that would be at the very least that studying the impact yeah. because perhaps, you know, maybe you make the argument that we aren't going to be looking at two-thirds of, of San Francisco high school students being provided with free BART, um, and maybe that is the reality right now with the budget deficit, but I think that at least including them in the lottery is a very legitimate ask. And then secondly, speaking more broadly on your point of the very large budget deficit right now, I think this is worth considering, and yeah, is, is, is free BART going to be provided for all youth in San Francisco tomorrow? Um, no, because, and, and the big reason for that is the budgetary concerns and the big deficit that we're running. But I still think it's important to do the advocacy and lay out in these resolutions and proclaim our support for youth actually having access to free public transportation. And it might not happen tomorrow, it, um, but as we saw, you know, free Muni for Youth was a multi-year undertaking. That, that required you know, multiple commissions, a continuous effort. So I think that at least beginning that process, even if it doesn't seem feasible right now, is something that we should be doing. Um, I also had similar concerns to Commissioner Barker Plummer because, well, I, I don't even know if like they can expand their Bay Pass pilot program right now because it's already commenced. So it's not like you can just like add new participants in the middle of the program. Um, so I don't know, I, I just don't think that clause is actually feasible because you can't, like if they were to, you know, restart the pilot program for whatever reason or like if they were about to start it, I think it would make a lot of sense if, you know, SFUSD, more SFUSD students were selected um, instead of like Santa Rosa college students because SFUSD students or San Francisco students in general are the ones that are using BART 
primarily, right? So I think um, that should have been in their consideration when they were beginning the program, and I wish we had a say in that when it was actually commencing. Um, but yeah, I'm not sure that whole clause is um, feasible at all. Um, and then like I also had the same concern about um, you know affirming our support for all youth having access to essential forms of transportation for free. Um, while I agree with you that you know the the city and the state don't really have the ability in their budget or like the room in their budget to address that by providing free BART, I think it's important that we publicly state that. But I also don't know if that's like that can be an actual clause to just like affirm your support for something, right? Because most of our re resolved. I, th I thought like every resolved clause has to like have a recommendation or an ask. Okay, um, then I, I would still keep. It. <laughs> <laughs> That's the parliamentarian. I mean, no, I mean, you're, it's a, it, any, any commissioner on here is allowed to introduce a resolution, and it can kind of say whatever it wants. I recommend that they don't do that, mm -hmm. but and you know, it does have to follow the correct format, but it doesn't necessarily, you know have to say like at, at we, it, there's no requirement that the resolved clause is necessarily directed to someone mm -hmm. it can be calling on people in general to do stuff yeah just to clarify and, and i'm not saying that like money is abstract to me right but like if they if they have this plan to you know follow through with the 90 million dollars on the fair gates like i don't really know what's up with that but like if if they can make room in their budget or if they can even consider a plan like that i think they can consider free BART for all youth. Um, right. But if they don't implement the fair gates and fund free BART for youth, they increase the amount of um, fair evasion. They don't. They How does it increase the, any well, revenue? They decrease the amount of youth fair evasions yeah. because but primarily most of the fair evasions come from youth who don't have access to the discounted discounted how does that make sense? I don't think that it's the majority of fair evasion is youth, but um, oh, okay, a lot of it. Significant percentage. It's 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 an amount um, for sure. I don't know. I, I I would just say like in terms of concerns around the Bay Pass um, like pilot program, this is not a BART initiative. This is like BART's a partner on it, but this is of the larger Metropolitan Transportation Commission, which administers Clipper. And so like the reason that they included Santa Rosa is that this is good on any like transit agency that accepts Clipper. So all of the, you know, like Golden Gate Transit, Smart Train, that all is included. And there's nothing that would preclude them from, you know, if if we had the funding, you know, which, you know, seeing that free muni for all youth, which I would say significantly more youth, at least youth in San Francisco use muni, you know, it costs what, two million dollars a year? The cost to do free BART like with the current youth ridership, especially the youth ridership that's actually paying, I, I would guess it's less than a million dollars. The the youth fare is for BART is like one oh five, which is less than the, the Muni fare of a dollar fifty. So I, I think the cost would be pretty negligible um, if we capped it to youth living in San Francisco for trips within San, San Francisco. You know, we could try to do some different, you know, scheme, but I don't think the cost would be that great. I would also note that there's like this is a statewide like precedent like Santa Cruz just announced today that they're making all of their local buses free for youth. You know, San Francisco San is not too. unique. Yes, San Diego has been free, Sacramento, and there was a state bill, it didn't pass, but that they were trying to make 
all of the transit in the state free for under 18. So there's, there's precedent. Wait, so like why wouldn't ferry evasions decrease? I'm not saying that the, sorry, to clarify, technically the breaking of the law by fare evasion would decrease because you've now legalized some of what was previously fare evasion. That doesn't help at all with the revenue source, which is the crisis that BART is currently facing, which is that not enough people are writing it to have enough fares, or not enough people are paying their fares to continue the service. Like it, we're not going to ridership is down in general. But sorry, what I, just to clarify, what I was saying was, if you, I'm trying to remember what this conversation was. Um, if we uh, took. If, all the, if, if we make it free for all young people, they're not breaking the law anymore, but you're also no longer getting revenue for them. So if you took that $90 million you're gonna, and not implement new fare gates, you, in that case, what I was saying was that in that case, you would um, take away, you would increase or maintain the current level of fare evasion, as well as putting that money towards a program that you no longer get revenue for. I I I think okay yeah. I, I mean what, your point I is saying, that to clarify you're, that it's not going to without what's clarification yeah. at all. But okay, it kind of makes sense. <laughs> I don't know. I think I would also just say that Bart fair evasion or Bart fair enforcement. A lot of it and what they do like they did this a lot last year and I think it's an ongoing practice is they check trains from like when the system opens to 9 a.m. at Embarcadero Station, and they only check tra trains going to the East Bay, and they don't issue citations. And the purpose of this fare enforcement is to kick what they call non-destination riders, essentially you know, the unhoused and such, off the trains and prevent them from you know, leaving San Francisco and going to the suburbs where people complain about them. And you know, just earlier today, we were hearing in the the SFUSD referred legislation. You know, it, it's not great. You know, obviously, we don't want that to be the last resort uh, for people. But you know, there's families who are you know sleeping on these trains, depending on these trains for shelter. And you know, Bart's fair enforcement policies are being directly targeted at these you know individuals. You know, who are quote unquote non destination riders. You know, like. They don't even try to hide that this there's like an underlying motive. You know, it's not about fair enforcement for BART. It's about keeping, you know, quote unquote undesirable people off their trains and out of the wealthy suburbs. This is this is what they're doing with their fair evasion. So I don't know. Um, just wanna be mindful of time because we still have other agenda items. Um we can probably discuss this very respectfully offline. Um yeah, we are not taking action on this resolution. But so will we have opportunity the next meeting to to vote? give our feedback or have discussion I think on this? Yes, yeah. feedback now, no. Because I, I have a couple things oh, that I wanted I to touch on. I think on. that you should okay. say that now, although in the interest of time. Make it fast. We'll make it fast or maybe do it offline, but I also think that we can use the time. I mean, this I can do it really fast. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, talk really okay, fast. So, <laughs> The clipper, so wait, just to clarify, the, this clipper card, before free muni for youth, you could use it for both BART and muni. Yes. Um, I'd be curious to see, because you talked about how hard it was to get a clipper card and how like the online system was really ineffective. I'd be c curious to see 
and I, maybe it's exactly the same, but I'd be curious if the, what the difference between fair evasion rates were before and after free muni for youth, if less people maybe avoid, less people avoided fares prior to free muni for youth because they already had a clipper card that was easily accessible. Um, though that maybe, maybe it doesn't work that way. Um, but then another thing that I was going to add is in your resolve to include um, funding the opening of more in-person service locations and also expanding the hours of operation. And I also you talked about how ineffective the online system is, and so I think it would be helpful to include something about revising that and making that easier to um, easier to access. Because if someone doesn't have a Clipper card and they go to a station, that I just think I think that's I, I think that's an easier um, option for some people. Mm -hmm. Well, what I'll say there is that at least at our HRT meeting, um, Director Lee. Um, what I'll say with that is at least at our HRT meeting, um, I believe it was a month and a half, two months ago now, um, Director Lee stated that like BART, Clipper really have no jurisdiction over the online system and it's like far outside of the domain. But if you still think it's, like, it's a good idea to ask more questions and dig deeper about that, that's definitely something I'd consider doing because I also think that um, addressing the online system would make a big difference. I just wonder how feasible it is because, you know, even Director Lee who said that like this like in-person advocacy and all this, which is worthwhile, like this, you might not be able to do much for um, solving the online issues because, you know, that could be supply chain or whatever else. I can see that. I think it might be worth looking into because if you go to a station that doesn't have a youth clipper card, then wouldn't you just evade the fare because they don't have somewhere where you can get the clipper card? Mm -hmm. Any other questions or feedback? Um, seeing none, we can direct uh, other comments or suggestions offline to Commissioner Adair, but this was a really well done resolution. So thank you so much for all of your work on it. Um, and I'd love to help you with small edits as well if you need. Um, okay. Okay. Um, so moving on to the next resolution, which is the Vision Zero resolution, <laughs> which will be a lot of fun. Um, but <laughs> um, this is the first reading. I was um, just put it out there. I was planning on passing this on the first reading just because I, well, we all think that it's very, well, it was originally supposed to be on the full YC meeting like a while back, but we didn't have time. So we had a lot of time to work on this and I just feel like it's comprehensive enough to pass on its first reading and we can save time for the next meeting, which I know will have a lot of presentations um, and resolutions. So yeah if you guys feel like there are big substantial changes and we can't pass it on the first reading, we don't have to. But I think it's good enough to pass right now as it is. Um, but um, we basically started writing this resolution because um, of one of the... Sorry. Uh, sorry. Point of personal privilege. Oh, yeah, go ahead. Because of one of the SF Chronicle resolutions that talked about how um, Vision Zero hadn't improved since 2014 in San Francisco, um, whereas, you know, New York has had much more positive results. Um, so basically, we just did a deep dive on all of the reasons as to why Vision Zero in San Francisco is failing. 
Um, some of the reasons being that the task force hasn't met since March 2022. Um, we, don't, we're, we don't have the jurisdiction or we don't have the ability to use automated speed enforcement cameras, um, whereas like New York has that ability. And also there's just a general lack of political will in the city to follow through um, and expedi expedite various like safety and quick build projects and initiatives from the MTA. Also that um, most or many of the Vision Zero accidents happen in areas near schools because there's lack of traffic calming. So we just talked about how there's a need for prioritization for that. And um, there's also just that we read something about how the MTA doesn't have funding for a lot of the safety projects that it wants to do. But yeah, all of this will be outlined in the resolution. And I worked on this with uh, Commissioner Miller and Commissioner Colleen. Um, so yeah, we can just start reading. Um, I don't. I don't think anyone has a printed copy, so if y'all have a laptop or just want to look at the screen. Yeah, apologies yeah. for that. No printed copies today. All good. Saving trees, because this is a long resolution. Um, <laughs> Vision Zero, resolution urging the mayor and board of supervisors to reconvene the Vision Zero task force with a youth seat to urge the state to implement a bill creating a pilot program for automated speed enforcement cameras, comma, to find political will for safety and quick build projects and initiatives, to prioritize projects near schools, to provide funding for these projects, and to support the enforcement of Focus on the Five as fitting for each police district. Whereas in 2014, San Francisco adopted a Vision Zero policy that committed the city to eliminate all traffic deaths on city streets by 2024 through engineering safer streets, education about traffic safety, enforcement of traffic laws, and advocating for uh, legalization of new tools including automated speed enforcement and Whereas after Mayor Ed Lee pledged Vision Zero in 2015, the San Francisco Vision Zero Task Force met quarterly. However, the task force started meeting infrequently after Lee's death in 2018. And in 2022, the task force only met once in March. And advocates, advocates believe that, quote, the lack of coordination and leadership has hampered Vision Zero efforts in San Francisco, end quote, because on the contrary, the New York Vision Zero Task Force has met every two weeks since 2014. And... Whereas there has been a lack of progress on Vision Zero as traffic deaths have risen almost every year since 2018 and San Francisco ended 2022 with 32 deaths tying with the city's decade high in 2016 and whereas speed and or speed is the largest contributing factor for traffic fatalities and minor reductions in speed can significantly alter outcomes which is so shown through a um, through how a pedestrian is who is struck at by a vehicle traveling at 30 miles per hour is twice as likely to be killed as a pedestrian struck by a vehicle traveling at 25 miles per hour, according to the New York City Department of Transportation's Automated Speed Enforcement Program Report and... Whereas the Na National Transportation Safety Board's NTSB safety study said, stated that, quote, speed and therefore speeding increased crash risk in two ways. One, it increases the likelihood of being involved in a crash, and two, it increases the so, severity of injuries sustained by all road users in a crash, end quote, and whereas the San Francisco Municipal Transportation Agency, SFM, cited the NTSB study stating between 2005 and 2014, 31% of all traffic fatalities nationwide cited speed as a factor, and whereas, um, is it in 2017? Is that the, okay, in 2017, Assembly Member David Chu. Um, it's, the, it's the previous one. Yeah, okay, oh no, okay. 
according, whereas according to the NTSB study, automated speed enforcement, uh, also known as ASE, is widely acknowledged as an effective countermeasure to reduce speed speed-related crashes, fatalities, and injuries. However, only 14 states and the District of Columbia use it. Many states have laws that prohibit or place operational restrictions on ASE and. Whereas in 2017, Assemblymember David Chu, D. San Francisco collaborated with the late Mayor Ed Lee and San Jose Mayor Sam Licardo on Assembly Bill 342, which would install automated speeding cameras in San Francisco and San Jose as a five-year pilot program. However, it died in committee and. Whereas jurisdictions that have implemented ASE programs have seen reductions in crashes, fatalities, and speeding, for example in zones where cameras were installed in New York City, total crashes declined by 15%, total injuries by 17%, fatalities by 55%, and speeding by 70%. And Whereas uh, the San Francisco Controller's Office 2017 report on the focus on five strategies stated that effective traffic calming Tra traffic enforcement programs should be based on proactive rather than reactive measures. And given the proven effic eff efficacy um, of automated speed enforcement in preventing fatal and serious injury collisions, the city and county of San Francisco should continue to advance the use of automated speed enforcement uh, as a tool for encouraging people to drive at safe speed. and. Whereas in a 2013 survey, over uh, 3,700 San Franciscans respondents ranked automated enforcement as one of the top three priorities that the city should implement in order to improve pedestrian safety in San Francisco and... Whereas the SFMTA waters down their safety, quick build and traffic calming projects, but with less than $1 million in revenue available each year for pedestrian improvement and traffic calming projects, SFMTA staff claim that obtaining funding is the biggest hurdle and... Whereas about 48 or 84% of the SFMTA's 2015 and 2016 traffic calming applications and community requests were located within a quarter mile of a school and. And uh, whereas a 2018 analysis by Zen Drive, San Francisco was ranked as the county with the sixth most dangerous traffic, traffic around schools in the country and. Whereas 42% of San Francisco elementary school students live within walking distance of school, yet only 26% of students walk, portraying the lack of walkability on the city streets and... Sorry, my computer is like... It's on the okay. Um, whereas drop-offs and pickups at school add about 80,000 miles of driving per day on our streets, and this large amount of traffic around schools increases safety threats for kids and families, and also impacts the local air quality and... Whereas the city of Sacramento is lowering speed limits near schools to 15 miles per hour by qualified streets that are part of Sacramento's Vision Zero program by coordinating the Department of Public Works with the police department, school districts, and the city council and... Whereas lowering speed limits and planning and completing street modifications and safety initiatives in areas near schools is strategic because programs that aim to protect children encourage broad support from the community, and these programs have the ability to serve as logical starting points to employ innovative infrastructure to improve driver behavior and pedestrian safety at crossing, as stated in a report by Safe Routes to School and 
Whereas, in general, the SFMTA modifies and deletes elements of its street safety projects. For example, the 8th Avenue Neighborhood Way proposal, initially released in October of 2017, called for traffic diverters, raised crosswalks, and 19 new speed humps. But revised plans released in May 2018 after several community meetings with members of the public and San Francisco, or it should say, and then San Francisco Supervisor, District 1 Supervisor Sandra Fewer, and a public hearing, the project was reduced to consist only of speed humps, uh, which prevented the project from meeting its initial stated goal of creating a safe, comfortable street for people walking and biking in the inner Richmond by reducing daily traffic volumes by more than 50% and... Whereas Valencia Street is one of San Francisco's most heavily used biking corridors, according to the SFCTA, but is a part of the high injury network and has been plagued by drivers parking, parking in the currently unprotected bike lanes and injured cyclists for a year, and... Whereas in January 2023, Wayne May Tan, age 64, was killed by a turning driver, won the crosswalk at 16th Street in Valencia, highlighting the urgent need for safety improvements to the dangerous Valencia corridor, and... Whereas Mayor London Breed called on the SFMTA to build a protected bike lane on Valencia Street within four months from September 2018. But despite political calls to action, the SFMTA has still not yet, to, has still not yet delivered protected bike lanes on Valencia and protected bikeways coming to Valencia Street in 2022 uh, pro proclaimed the SFMTA online project update in summer 2022, followed by the release of a plan to install a center running bikeway in September 2022, which was heavily criticized by the community as still failing to provide adequate safety measures with less than 18% of a survey response supportive of the proposal. On an FAQ document, the SFMTA even noted that the center running design presented safety concerns for uh, accessing mid-block destinations from the bike lane and the SFMTA missed their 2022 goal for implementation, and... Whereas the common argument against the Valencia bike lanes is that they will take away valuable parking spaces and decrease sales for businesses. However, according to a Wired article, quote, in 2013, researchers at New York City's Department of Transportation studied seven stretches of road that had installed bike lanes or created pedestrian-friendly areas. The city crunched the numbers for businesses along those routes and found that by the third year, sales grew faster on five of the streets than in the borough overall, and on average up to five times faster in fact, and... Whereas the article also stated that the truth is that in fairly dense areas, bikes are more efficient at moving people around. You might lose one car driver's business, but you gain shoppers who now can arrive more easily on bikes, and... Whereas by making Valencia Street more pedestrian and bike friendly, the SFMTA can encourage more people to travel, travel safely, sustainably, and slowly, it says a way away twice uh, from cars. And? Whereas Jennifer Wong, a planner from the SFMTA, gave a project update and reported an email that, quote, the team is looking through the feedback received to update the design prior to presenting proposed changes to the SFMTA Board of Directors in early 2023 for review and proposal and... Whereas San Jose Avenue, also part of the city's high injury network, is dense with kids and families and borders Balboa Park. And since 2005, 99 people have been injured in crashes along the segment of the street, roughly one every two months, according to data from the San Francisco Department of Public Health, data analyzed by Stephen Breitz. 
the founder and creative director of street safety nonprofit Transpo Maps. And whereas uh, Brett Brayton, <laughs> I don't know, also cautioned that this number could be higher because the city uh, ramped up its record keeping in 2014 as part of the Vision Zero program and. Whereas in a 2007 document titled San Jose Avenue Traffic Calming, a staff from the San Francisco Planning Department wrote that, quote, vehicles continuing from the San Jose Expressway enter the neighborhood at speeds often in excess of 50 miles per hour, end quote, and the document called for a, quote, host of inter interventions including bulb outs, larger muni islands, rumble strips, and planned medians to slow cars down and highlight crosswalks and... And there, and quote, there was another push in 2014 for improvements that went nowhere. The speed limit has since been lowered to 25 miles per hour, but some drivers keep the pedal to the metal. And whereas in fall 2022, over si 60 people and local businesses brought their concerns to the SFMTA Citizens Advisory Council, prompting the council to pass a resolution acknowledging the unsafe conditions that impact access to the many nearby schools parks, local businesses, and transit stops, and recommended the SFMTA to do the following. Address unsafe conditions on the San Jose Avenue corridor as part of its Vision Zero Action Strategy to prevent pedestrian injuries and fatalities. Focus on improvements that increase safety and access for children and families to Balboa Park and the commercial strip. Improve the J Church infrastructure to benefit both transit riders and pedestrians. Consider immediate quick build safety improvements to the corridor. Engage the community around the corridor to develop a comprehensive plan of improvements to increase safety for pedestrians and transit riders. And include safety measures for inclusion in the five-year capital improvement program and. Whereas SFMTA Director Jeffrey Tumlin stated at the October 18th, 2022 SFMTA board meeting that his staff was working on solutions and hoped to present a plan to address safety on San Jose Avenue in 2023 and. Whereas SFMTA launched its Vision Zero Quick Build program to deliver fast, affordable, and adjustable street modifications such as daylighting, protected bike lanes, parking, and loading changes, and painted pedestrian safety zones on the high injury network, the 30% of city streets that account for 75% of se severe traffic injuries and death, and... Whereas according to the city's latest Quick Build project list, since 2020, there have only been 29 completed Quick Build projects and... Whereas the SFMTA residential traffic calming program is based on a complex application process with specific windows to apply and applications that require gathering signatures of at least 20 neighbors and a neighborhood vote if the street is found to be eligible for traffic calming and... Whereas this extensive process to apply for traffic calming creates barriers for working class people who lack time or resources to navigate the process and... Whereas Vision Zero's focus on the five refers to prioritizing enforcement around dangerous driving behaviors in each police district and... Whereas Vision Zero's focus on the five driving, excuse me, driving citations include one, speeding, two, running stop signs, three, running red lights, four, violating the pedestrian right-of-way, and five, failing to yield while turning and... Whereas as part of its Vision Zero commitment, the San Francisco Police Department, SFPD, made a commitment in early 2014 to increase the percentage of focus on the five to 50% of all traffic citations. However, performance data published on a monthly basis by the controller's office reveals that while a few individual police districts have had success in attaining the, this goal, other districts and SFPD as a whole have struggled to meet its and. 
whereas analysis of SFPD citation data from January 2018 to May 2022 shows that focus on the five citations have averaged around 35% of all citations written YOY, and the focus on the five citations that are written on the high injury network are a tiny fraction of all citations written citywide and Whereas, according to data from the City and County of San Francisco's City uh, Performance Scorecard, SFPD does not focus on the five. I'm sorry, that's just a funny way to say it. In Northern, Ingleside, Central, and Bayview districts, as the percentage of tra total traffic citations for focus on the five is below 50%, despite these districts having substantive data demonstrating high numbers of drivers who violate the top five traffic violations that cause accidents and risk public safety and whereas the performance scorecards further demonstrate an increase in traffic violations in Bayview for running stop signs an increase in central for running red lights an increase in Ingleside for violating pedestrian right of way a huge increase in the Richmond for speeding an increase in southern for running red lights an increase in terrible for speeding and failing to yield while turning and a huge increase in the tenderloin for failing to yield while turning and Whereas is if SFPD commits to issuing at least 50% of traffic violations for these dangerous and specific five violations, SFPD will greatly help prevent collisions, deaths, and support the city's vision zero goals and traffic fatalities by 2024. And I should say now, therefore, be it resolved that the 2022-2023 Youth Commission of the City and County of San Francisco urges the San Francisco Municipal Transportation Agency and the San Francisco Department of Public Health to reconvene the Vision Zero Task Force and hold regular meetings, while also including a seat for youth aged 12 to 23, given that San Francisco streets are especially dangerous around schools and be it And be it further resolved that the 2022-2023 Youth Commission of the City and County of San Francisco urges the Mayor and the Board of Supervisors to urge state policymakers to reintroduce a state bill for a pilot program to allow for speed cameras in San Francisco and be it Further resolved that the 2022 to 2023 Youth Commission of the City and County of San Francisco urges the Mayor and the Board of Supervisors to urge the San Francisco Municipal Transportation Agency to expedite its quick build projects for major street redesign, including car-free zones, extensive protected bike lane networks, and transit-only networks, regardless of the necessary trade-offs such as extensive parking removal and vehicle lane repurposing and be it Further resolved that the 2022-2023 Youth Commission of the City and County of San Francisco urges the Mayor and the Board of Supervisors to urge the San Francisco Municipal Transportation Agency to prioritize traffic calming and safety in the areas near schools to protect youth and introduce more projects and be it. Further resolved that the 2022-2023 Youth Commission of the City and County of San Francisco urges the Mayor and Board of Supervisors to provide a significant funding to provide significant funding for the San Francisco Municipal Transportation Agency, SFMTA, to invest in pedestrian safety and achieve Vision Zero goals and be it. Further resolved that the 2022 to 2023 Youth Commission of the City and County of San Francisco urges the Mayor and the Board of Supervisors to urge the San Francisco Police Department to broaden the spatial scope of its enforcement activities, which is supported by a wide body of research in the field of traffic policing and crash intervention and be it. Further resolved that the 2022-2023 Youth Commission of the City and County of San Francisco urges the San Francisco Police Department to modify its focus on the five strategy so that it's better suited to the unique environment of each police district and allows for an appropriately varied response to the problem of traffic collisions and be it. 
Further resolved that the 2022-2023 Youth Commission of the City and County San Francisco urges the Mayor and Board of Supervisors to urge the San Francisco Police Department to prioritize siting focus on the five violations on the high injury network. Thank you. Thank you. And that's our resolution. Questions? Um, Point of personal privilege. <laughs> Thanks, Sasha. Point of personal privilege. Yes, go ahead. Um, are there any questions? I was just going to say you guys are right. That is a very, very... Very, very thorough <laughs> resolution. <That's> very negative. <laughs> you clearly put a lot of work into it. No, that's a compliment. That's it's very impressive. Can I make a motion? Yeah. Oh, wait, is there discussion? So, well, you said you didn't want to pass it on the first reading, but I was thinking. I feel like walk. Well, we can. They can provide comments on our resolution, and it does not have to like be in it. Like we can just talk like to them about stuff. We have a yeah. I it's don't know. Solid. I would like to meet with them before we pass this because I think like while this is like pretty comprehensive, I don't know. We kind of like focus in on specific projects, but they like I don't know. I was reading their email earlier, and it sounds like they also have like specific priorities, and they're about to release like more data like about like certain like streets and projects that they're really going to be like targeting. So we could like. I don't know. I just want to like support them because I feel like the way we're going to get a lot of action on this is like if we are um, like there needs to be a coalition like around projects to get them to be supported. So I'd love to like be able to support their specific projects as well. Yeah. And uh, Commissioner Barker Plummer brought up a good point. Just to provide context, um, we 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 were going to well, we emailed them to um, we, we emailed WalkSF to meet with us and they just got back like two hours ago. They got back to us two hours ago, so that's why we're reconsidering. But I think we should still pass it just because like... I think there's also like, I don't know, just like looking through it and like considering the hour of the night, there's some like just like phrasing things and stuff where it like reads weird that I just want to like fix and some of it like, I don't know. I think it's... Yeah, we can. I think we can. You can pass it with grammatical. I think that. we should just wait. Rewording it is grammatical. That's a Josh question. <laughs> can we make a motion to like pass it with like grammatical error, like fixing grammatical errors and like fixing like syntax uh, yeah. errors? Well, there's a difference between just changing up some grammatical errors and completely switching around different sentences and language. Um, it's usually like spell check, maybe a different word in place of another word. It's not like changing the structure of the resolution. Oh. I think we should just wait because, I don't know, also, did, did we send this to KidsSafe SF? Like, have they said anything? I don't know. Yeah, I, I emailed Robin, but she hasn't gotten back to me. So maybe in two weeks we'll have feedback from, like, her as well. And, like, I don't know. Yeah. I, I think it would just be good to... I I mean, I agree that that should be like the standard practice, but also next meeting we have like three budget presentations and we have to go through like all of the CEC and TJ BPPs. So I'm CEC and, and resolutions like the Bart Clipper one the and your rush? shared spaces one and the Narcan one. So I'm just saying like we're not going to have time and reading this whole resolution is going to take 30 minutes. So we can just do it at the next one like you know it, okay like I don't know there's no okay. rush you know vision zero has been around since 2014 and look how far we've come you know <laughs> well I mean like I guess I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to rush it but I'm just saying like we're not gonna have time at the next meeting and 
I think our whole BPB. We could just vote and okay. I can vote yeah, the it. way I'm going to vote. Point of personal <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Okay, um, I motion. Okay. One Sorry. Thing. Just if. One thing. Go ahead. Your resolves. Um, two of your resolves says that you're asking the mayor and the BOS to urge the SFPD, and then you also have a resolve that just directly urges SFPD. So you want to make a choice? Oh yeah, yeah. We would like to do the latter, ur urging the mayor and the or the first one actually. Urging the mayor and the board. Oh, to so we would have to add it, the structure of the sentence. Well, that that's just like an error. A but technical you can still error. make that amendment now and vote on the resolution with that amendment. Okay. Yeah. But I will Let's also see. say that if you want to vote to pass it on its first reading, in addition to passing it, you also have to suspend the bylaws. Mm -hmm. Ooh. <laughs> so, there'll, so there'll be two votes, is my understanding. I thought, isn't that just included in the one vote? Well, we should. I, we should vote separately would be my request because I will vote differently on one than the other. Okay. <laughs> that was 9 p.m. guys. <laughs> yeah. I just, I like, I would pass it on the second reading, but we just like generally don't have time in the next meeting. My suggestion was just to be more time efficient with like conversation, discussion, questions being answered. Um, like next meeting? Mm -hmm. Okay, let's do that. But I feel like we say that every meeting and it just happens. No, this time as, as chair, you need to take initiative to cut people off. Okay. okay. We, can, we can work on it. Okay. Uh, okay. Do you want to make a motion? Or what motion would I say? So, motion to suspend the bylaws first. So, you have to do that as a separate vote, correct? Wait, so, why are we suspending? Because. Do you want to pass it? I can clarify it. So if you want to pass it today, the motion would need to be that you motion to suspend the bylaws and pass this resolution with the current language on its first reading. Okay. Well, that's a single motion, or you can make... I think we should just make a decision. I think, I think we should, we should just that's, not make a motion at all and just table it for the next meeting with, like, take into account. That, then that, we would. That's, that's just doing a first reading. Yeah, that, that's yeah. just not making oh, a motion. Oh, we can't do that. Chernwin. Yeah. I'd recommend maybe doing like a really quick poll of just saying like, now or next meeting okay. for each commissioner, and then we can just move on. Okay. So, yeah. So it's either we pass it now. Um, with the grammatical fixes, um, or we add 30 minutes to the next agenda where we don't already have time. So, <laughs> motion to just pass the reading, or yeah, raise your hand if you want to just pass the reading in this meeting, this the resolution in this meeting. It, it's, I swear it's not even going to be that different oh, in the next meeting. Okay, well, oh never mind. It doesn't matter, people. This is democracy. This is not a, this I just not don't pass. feel comfortable passing it quite yet with uh, the other people that you're going to meet with not having looked it over and having the opportunity to just go over yes. it one more time. As much as okay. I don't want to read it for I a second time. <laughs> can I clarify yeah. regarding like the second reading? So usually like if it's like a full like 
the, like second reading, it's because you like drastically changed the resolution. Oh, but we're not going. Yeah, to I so thought you have to read it out loud for standard practice. No, so you just have to read the changes. If it's if it's like two like three changes. Recently, we've been uh, y'all been like drastically changing some of the resolutions where mm -hmm. like y'all have to. But since we already have like in record the reading, if it's just like changing two resolves, just read the the changes of okay. the two resolves. Okay, that's helpful to know. Yeah. But if you do, but if you do do dramatic changes, you might have to read the whole thing again. I yeah. I don't think we're gonna make dramatic changes. No, we're not. So that's why we could. It would take less than fifteen minutes, hopefully, at the next, next meeting. meeting. Okay. If we just read out like the really small grammatical changes. Okay, yeah, we can do that. So no action will be taken on this resolution um, based on democracy, I guess. <laughs> um, okay, uh, is there any public comment on this item of the agenda? There is no public comment. Staff, can you please call item number nine? Item number nine is budget and policy priorities review. Um, yeah. Are you guys presenting on this? Because, or like, what are we doing for this? So I'll just give a really quick um, briefing. So executive committee have has looked over the HRT and LGBTQ plus task force um, BPPs. Um, we will be sending all the edits um, to the respective committees um, tomorrow oh, when we finalize the minutes. Um, so there's that. I just wanna also point out that December, not December, February 9th, which is this week, um, is your final submission that is pretty finished. So chairs of every committee, please um, submit it to staff and, and Chair Wynn and Vice Chair Barker Plummer. Um, what would you like to add? I, I, so. I think what would be most productive today would be to just check in with, no, would be to check in with committee chairs to see what their status is so that we can all be aware. Can we, we had do that in committee reports? Yeah, my original, the original idea, which we should probably not do now, was to go over HRT and LGBTQ task force. Okay. We should wait until we send the edit. Yeah. And then exact committee can check in with the, the committee chairs for a better use of time. Okay. And since then, it won't apply to the full commission. Okay, and then based on that, how are we planning to do they're just not there's just not gonna be a second round for C E E C and for TJ? Well, exact committee will have to look that over at on the next, next exact committee right. meeting, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. And then that next Full Youth Commission meeting is our first reading of the BPPs. Itself. Yes, so okay. I will recommend that um, exec committee checks in with the committees um, individually with your edits offline. So, wait, just just to clarify, at, at the next Full Youth Commission meeting, we're going to be going over all, all of them mm -hmm. instead of half. All three committees. All four. All four. Like all BPPs one because of, we're not doing them well, today. One of our ideas was to do half of them now, but it sounds like it's it's nine. So I don't but, think we should do that. But I think that we might, but we might need to rearrange the agenda for next meeting to make sure that we have time to go over all of them. That's something that exec will need to to talk about because we we don't have time to. 
yeah. all of the resolutions. And yes, um, exec committee, I highly suggest that you check in with um, each committee individually to make sure the edits are understood and suggestions are understood. Is the reason why we're not, well, I, I know we're not doing HRT and um, LGBTQ plus task force today because it's late and it wasn't on the agenda, but I thought we were planning for that in exec, right? Didn't you did, already go over the, already the those two yeah. Oh, I thought we were gonna go over the edits we had and present them to the full youth commission. Now? I, th I thought that we were doing that today. I, that was my original plan, but we, it, that's not gonna work. Okay, so our responsibilities as a sec members is just to reach out to people because I know the minutes. Uh, well, I would say two things. One, I would encourage all commissioners to look over at least their committee's BPPs because some of them need work. Um, and maybe even to take a look at all of them just to get an idea of which, like, like what the BPP itself is. You should, because they should be in a shared folder. But oh, no, I made a spreadsheet that I can share with everyone. Yes. Okay, but we don't really have time based on how long it took for other things today is the end result of this discussion. Yes, um, so highly recommend everyone, especially in HRT and LGBTQ task force, to look over the edits and suggestions um, once we have, have um, published them tomorrow. And like, if exec committee already commented on your document, please look that over. And if you do not understand, reach out uh, to the exec committee member or to ask for clarifications. But um, We need that by Thursday, is this Thursday is the deadline for all BPPs yes, in their final um, form? This um, Thursday, February 9th at 11.59 p.m. is the deadline to um, submit that to exec committee. I mean, to staff, um, Vice Chair Parker Palmer, and Chair Wynn. Thank you. Thank you. Um, okay, yeah. So... Is, is that the only discussion we're going to be having on that? Yeah, so just to reiterate, like, please look at, um, if you're an HRT or the LGBTQ plus task force or works on any of those ones, um, exec went over every single one. So you should have some comments. Everyone has comments. So please look those over by the end of this week. Um, if that is it, uh, is there any public comment on this item of the agenda? There is no public comment. Great, can you please call item number 10? Give me a sec. Oh my gosh, sorry. Uh, item number 10 is roll call and introductions, roll call for introductions of resolutions, requests for hearings, letters of inquiry, and commissioners' reports on their commission-related activities. Oh, did you want to go over it, or Vice Chair Barker Plummer, did you want to talk about this part? Yeah, I can talk about it. Um, this is something that exec, uh, we'll be quick. Um, this is something that exec uh, is deciding to implement, basically to give everyone an opportunity to see where everyone is. Um, we're planning to do, to see where everyone is, if you want to introduce a hearing, which you should speak to staff about before you just decide to call a hearing. Um, uh, would also go here and then also just letting people know about what resolutions you are working on and are committed to introducing. So if you have an idea, say, you know, I'm working on this issue. If you know you're going to be introducing a resolution, you should say, I'm going to be introducing a resolution on this issue. Um, we're doing it by seat number, which for reasons that are unclear to me are 
really weird. Um, and like the, the District 7 commissioner is first. So if you see your name on the agenda today, you're going to be giving a one to two minute, preferably one minute, um, quick update on what you've been doing and if you have any intentions to introduce future resolutions. Um, and if it's not on there, you will be at the next Four Youth Commission meeting. And we're going to alternate between the two of them just because we have so many commissioners. Questions? Great. We can get started. Um, so it's uh, Commissioner Anish first, then Commissioner Edding, then Commissioner Miller, then Commissioner Hum, then Commissioner Adair, then Commissioner Shaw, then Commissioner Wynn, and then Commissioner Loftus. Also, this was at random through your seat numbers. And if y'all don't know your seat numbers, it's totally fine because it does not make sense. <laughs> so these are the odds. For seat one, one, three, five, seven. Yeah. Yeah. But for reasons that are unclear, number one is the District 7 Youth Commissioner. Yeah, I don't know. But yeah. Uh, Commissioner Anish, are you ready? I can share. No. Okay. Um, all right. So basically, what I've been doing is I'm working on, or I have an idea of basically turning part of the BPP that HRT is working on into a resolution and like specifically on like youth centered spaces and how it's beneficial to youth to have these spaces. Um, focusing on like stuff that Hayden had brought up earlier in HRT about like the mix and different opportunities for youth to engage with one another in um, SF. And then I've also just been like gaining more research on like the housing situation with youth as well. Um, I'm not sure if I'm like gonna do anything with that yet, but that's basically all I've been doing. Yeah. Okay, okay do I go ahead? Mm -hmm. um, I'm, well, we've been working on BPPs for school safety and civic engagement, and so I'd like those to be resolutions in the future, but that is in the way, way future. Um, but I've been mainly been focusing a lot on school safety and civic engagement right now. Also, the um, CEEC survey that we released about civic engagement has been oh, <laughs> the Times um, has been released to a lot of schools, and we'd like everyone to post flyers of it in your school or around the community. So you'll get flyers after this meeting that you can post around the city, and that would be very helpful. And it closes February 18th, tentatively. What? In the Youth Commission office. <laughs> Do I just go now? Okay, great. So, um, I don't know, some things I've been doing for District 5, obviously I was working on this um, Vision Zero uh, resolution, and I will continue to um, we also recently met with people from uh, KidSafe SF and Vision Boulevard, uh, which is related to the freeway removal. And um, I've been in contact with the Boys and Girls Club, hoping to still schedule uh, a visit to the Tenderloin um, Clubhouse, as well as I've been reaching out to um, like Project Pull, which is another like um, summer like internship opportunity. I think it's somewhat similar to like OFA or YouthWorks, but. I know their application is open and like it's not as well known so like maybe trying to promote that um, like upcoming resolutions I'd be interested in um, I think I'm gonna 
Well, we need a finish at HRT, um, something related to school trippers and muni service to schools. Um, there's also um, free city college student muni that I'm interested in. And can I say one more thing? Um, and then, now it slipped my mind. Never mind, never mind. Okay. Oh my gosh, what is it? It's going to come to me. It's OK. Commissioner Hum. Hello, it's Commissioner Hobbs. I am working on BPPs for C, uh, CEC and still working with Commissioner Pimentel on a mental health resolution. Uh, but if you guys want to contribute to that, please let me know. That's it. Commissioner Adair. All right. Um, so first, talking about BPPs, um, I'm, I'm speaking to Mike here, working on you know the housing and homelessness BPP over the last month. Uh, Commissioner Wong, I've done a lot of work there, and I think that's that's something that we're going to continue. Um, we're maybe thinking about transferring them into resolutions moving forward in the coming months, because I think multiple of these issues um, involving, you know, maybe opening up an additional transitional age youth K homeless navigation center. That's something I'd be interested in doing, um, and also probably looking at the issue of housing and zoning, which we kind of wanted to cover in the. Um, in the BPP, but we didn't really have the space or capacity to do that. But I know that that's legislation that's, as we saw earlier, there's a lot going on there. So we want to address that. And then also with this, yeah, working on this BART resolution, doing some research. And in the next couple of weeks, I'll definitely want to be fine-tuning that, working with other commissioners to get it ready for the second reading. Oh, thanks. Commissioner Schultz. Yeah, so um, two different levels as far as LAO is concerned. I've been working on the resolution interest form and just trying to keep the functionality um, and role as far as LEO ensuring uh, doing that to the fullest capabilities. And then as far as just on the commissioner standpoint, uh, the BPPs, I worked on the uh, Bayview Hunters Point Naval Shipyard. Um, and then as that process continues, might possibly make that into a resolution. Um, but right now, I've begun looking back at old uh, research and notes um, taken by last year's TJ committee um, as far as um, work with like immigration and the needs of the immigrant community, families, and uh, youth, especially in SFUSD. And so looking back on that, doing more outreach, especially because it's been a year, and just updating that information and within these next few weeks working on that resolution. So yeah. Commissioner Wynn. Um, I have I think the freeways and the Vision Zero thing, things were the ones that were occupying, or the projects that were occupying the my time the most, um, and also converting those into BPPs were a lot of work. But now that I'm practically done with those, I am open and looking for new projects. Um, but it, yeah, it was really great to meet with people from Vision Boulevard. Um, and like Hayden said, we met with uh, Robin from Walk SF, which was really great. We learned a little bit about her priorities. Um, and we're going to keep setting up meetings with people from, or we met with Kids Safe SF, but we're going to keep setting up meetings with people from Walk SF. Um, and also, I'm going to be speaking on a panel about the freeway removal at Manny's um, later in March. Uh, and then I've also been working on the recreational spaces PPP, as well as um, editing a few others in um, HRT and other committees. Um, but. Yeah, we. I also met with um, DCYF with Astrid about like the complicated process with YEF granting. Um, yeah, so one minute is up. Last, yes. sorry. So hopefully, um, we can help them streamline their processes uh, in a, in another meeting in the future. 
But yeah, I am open and looking for new projects to get involved in and also have just been working on like Streamline. So I will be quick. So uh, BPP is doing life skills and civic engagement slash education. We're being asked for the civic engagement and education way to get somebody to get back to us. Uh, obviously, SFUSD, sexual assault and um, harassment resolution that got passed, yay. Um, I'm doing the uh, the juvenile hall um, thing this Friday, second time's charm. I'm meeting with the district floor supervisor on Thursday, second time's charm. Um, and that is about it for me. Um, the other one is other legislation introductions. So this is if you're not on that um, roll call, you can introduce legislation, like resolutions or hearings. And I think I know some of y'all will be doing that today. Yes. Go ahead. Um, so we've been meeting with a couple of community groups and me, I mean, Commissioner Colin and I wanted to call a motion to have a hearing to discuss and understand what is happening with Juvenile Hall since its closure in 2021, as well as what efforts are presently being made to secure the intended closure of Juvenile Hall and services being offered to support the youth inside and requesting the San Francisco closed Juvenile Hall work group, the Juvenile Probation Commission, the District Attorney's Office, and the Public Defender's Office to attend the hearing. Yes, perfectly said. <laughs> do we need to call a vote for that? You do not need to call a vote on this. Oh. You don't need to call votes on hearings, right? Don't we need the, we don't need the Youth Commission support? No, um, for hearings you do not need a vote. Awesome, okay. okay. So that has been filed and we will I'll um, send it to the respective um, organizations and departments. Thank you. Anyone else? Sounds good. Great. Congrats on finishing our first round of roll call and introductions. Um, is there any public comment on this item of the agenda? There is no public comment. Okay, staff, can you please call item number 11? Item number 11 is committee reports. Okay, starting with uh, officers Shaw and Hum, whenever y'all are ready. Yeah, so um, basically, as far as external BOS is concerned, we just uh, went over some legislation referred, um, seeing with the um, ordinance amending the planning code to create the family housing, and then amending code to extend the grace period for additional 120 days and then the health code overdose prevention program, and then finally um, the family newcomer family homelessness for students at SFUSD, and then another um, thing to watch out for in uh, the coming month, in March specifically, um, March 22nd at 4 p.m., um, the YC has uh, referred legislation because we were requested to present um, our BPPs, to be exact, it's a hearing, budget priorities, for the fiscal year 2023-2024 and 2024-2025. So we will be presenting in front of the BOS. Um, it is headed by, spearheaded by the YC Executive Committee. But if anyone else is interested, please reach out to Steven and I um, and let us know so we can include you all in that process. And so you'll be hearing more about that in the coming weeks. And also just on an internal standpoint, um, 
this past weekend you have received an email from myself um, about the resolution interest form. So we would love for all of you all to fill that out um, so we can send that out to all you guys and you can see um, in paper resolutions that people are looking at and focusing on and what they want to start so y'all can like, we can all collaborate and things of that nature. Uh, but Commissioner Hum, do you have anything to add? Um, that was pretty comprehensive. Thank you so much, Commissioner Shaw. That is it. Awesome. That concludes our report. Thank you. Great. Passing it off to officers uh, Listana and Atting. Um, okay. So one of the things we wanted to remind commissioners of is to sign up for Instagram take takeovers. We have a few people who haven't, haven't done that yet. Um, so be sure that you do that. Um, another thing is that we are working on planning discussing planning an event related to like doing like a youth networking event or something like that to get more youth engaged um, with each other and also more knowledgeable about the Youth Commission. Maybe having a panel with youth leaders and things like that. So we just wanted to let commissioners know about that. And if you have any ideas regarding a youth event that you'd like to voice to us, please let us know. Also, um, as comms officers, we have a responsibility to help you with outreach if you need any help doing outreach to your district or planning or with an event that you'd like to plan. So um, let us know if you'd like any assistance with that or if you have any ideas that you want to bring up. Um, and then also we're, we've been discussing doing youth commission presentations in schools and so we have a proposal for what that would look like. It would basically be a proposal on like the basics of who your supervisor is, who your commissioner is, what the youth commission does how you can get involved with us and how you can get involved in general. Um, and that's something that we'd like to do as schools, but we're still figuring out the logistics because we would like to do some of that during school hours. So if there's anyone who would be interested in being a part of those presentations too, um, let us know. And also we've been promoting like events through Instagram Reels weekly. And so if you have any events that you'd like to be promoted each week, also please let us know about those. Yeah, um, and just to add on as like a general social media update, um, we've just been working on like doing more explainers, just talking about different parts of like city government, um, and we are definitely trying to do like more reels and just multimedia stuff. So if you have ideas for fun reels or just like fun social media ideas that aren't just posts, that would be really nice. Um, I don't think I have anything else to add. Great, thank you. Can I just say that um, I've been approached by multiple people who told me that the Youth Commission Instagram is popping off recently. So thank you to you guys for that. Um, and then general committee updates, passing it off to uh, Vice Chair Barker Plummer. Hi, everyone. I'm back. Hello. Thank you. Um, it's been a journey. Uh, Why did you take so long to go upstairs? <laughs> Because <laughs> it's the other side of the building. Okay. So uh, two main items that were at our last executive committee meeting. The first was working on improving our agenda system. We arranged it a little bit. Um, it, typically, I think we'll have resolutions before legislation referred, although that is kind of dependent on whether or not we have presenters for that legislation referred. So we'll kind of see what happens with that. But also trying to make the agenda a little bit more succinct by doing it by um, business and then resolutions. Succinct in terms of looking at it, not in terms of how long it is. Um, we can't, we honestly, exec can't control much of that. Um, 
although we're working on it. Um, and then also introducing roll call introductions, which seems to have gone well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the second thing is we began our compilation of the BPP specifically for the LGBTQ task force and the housing and recreation, housing, recreation and transit committee. Um, we need the rest of those final BPPs in by Thursday at 11.59 p.m. Please, that, that's, that is the deadline. Thank you. Thank you. Youth Commission attendance, do staff want to briefly talk about that? Yeah, so um, just wanted to clarify, because this was like a conversation at exec um, last week or two weeks ago. I don't know when that exec happened anymore. Um, but regarding everyone's attendance, so starting in February, if you've missed in um, September slash like October, um, your missing attendance will not count within those six months. So in the bylaws, it states that um, within six months, if you miss so-and-so meetings, uh, you will be counted as you've been resigned from the commission or whatever. Um, so if you have any absences um, in September, October, it will no longer count for that six-month period um, that you're in the commission. And they'll also go once we're in March, if you have any uh, absences from October, November, then it won't count within the six months. Um, also, starting March 1st, we will be uh, meeting in person. Uh, so just wanted to be mindful that if attendance will be an issue, please, please, please communicate with us. We can see how we could help accommodate you or um, to see how we can do it. But yeah, uh, so far everyone's okay with the attendance, so keep it up. Great, thank you. Um, also. I know I mentioned this in one of our check-ins like a while ago, totally forgot until recently, but I was thinking of calling a special meeting um, like from in between now. I just wanted to gauge interest like in between now and the 20th, 21st, considering we, I don't know, it feels like we're very behind on a lot of things and we don't have time for everything because we kind of have like a four-hour time frame for our meetings. So I'm just like considering that um just to notice we would have to give a two-week notice of a special meeting and i think the the concern that we had was we would have to find a room mm -hmm. we don't know if we would have this room or the conference rooms on the second floor mm -hmm. um and then also people's availability okay so yeah go ahead for now, since it's not May yet, would we be able to do it just virtually, and then that would be easier logistically, or do we at least have to offer an in-person? It's, it's March. That the yeah, but emergency order ends. We cannot have. I understand, but the the special meeting would presumably be before then. Before March. Yeah. Yes. Because if it's two weeks' notice, then we could do but one like two weeks after from now the twenty-first. Next meeting. When yeah, but why does it require two weeks' notice? Because the law. I don't. Does it though? Yeah. Yes. People call like special meetings at the last minute. Okay. I thought we called a special meeting at the last minute for the sexual assault hearing, though. No, can you clarify? These microphones are. These microphones are annoying. Um, so. <laughs> Shove it in my mouth. Um, okay. So to clarify, what, what um, Director Garcia is saying is we need two weeks to book a room 
But for the bylaws, we needed just 72 hours to call for a special. No, no, no. So we, we talked to the legislative director of the BOS, which is Elisa, and we would have to notify the public in two weeks that we will not be having a meeting in our regular meeting spaces, which would, it's either 280, 280? What's 275 or 416? Or yeah, 278 or uh, 416. So we would have to give like a, a two-week notice. Um, that that doesn't mean that we need to have the agenda up posted uh, within those two week two weeks. But it it would we would just have to have a notice that we would have a special meeting in a different location. So we could do it. Yeah, I think there's a a loophole where if we do a virtual meeting, it's only with 72 hours. Uh huh. Yeah. Because we we've do been that? doing because virtual meetings in the past. I think we should do that just because like we're gonna have four resolutions on the next agenda, three of which are over ten pages long. And we have to go through all of our BPPs. So I think our energy might be better spent if we split up all of that into meetings, right? Can I and yeah, go ahead. Can I clarify with staff? I don't know if you have the answer, but are we required to have like even if all commissioners were online, do we need to have a space where the public could go to public comment in person? Not yet. That's after March, I think. That's yeah, that's that's March first. So, okay. I, th I there's just the I, whole complicated matter that we can explain about that. I no, I. I that's good. I'm good. Uh, <laughs> Does anyone else? I just want to say that I, I'm a little concerned. I don't know if we should be doing a virtual meeting, considering we are. Well, it's not illegal. And that's a low bar. When but, is your intended meeting? Um, well, so you're saying it can be like any time as long as it's 72 hours in advance notice, right? Two and you weeks. Can 72. Well, I thought it was for online. I, th I thought it was 72 seven, hours. Yeah. Two weeks for a different room, right? So um, I don't know. I, I honestly feel like any time from now, until the 21st is fine. Unless, like, let's see. Like, we can just find a time. Like, okay, how do other people feel about this? My issue is scheduling just like A, quorum, and then B, just because like, I know we all have like a thousand things outside of this we do, and just, because we already have Mondays scheduled for full YC, and so to find another time where folks are free to get quorum and make sure people are here, that's just my only worry of when mm -hmm. we do it. Yeah, I think we can try our best to find a time that works for everyone. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I would support a special meeting. I, I don't know. It just feels like we're always like being rushed with everything. And like, I don't know. I apologize that I had a lot of questions about the shared spaces thing and like other people didn't get to ask. But like, I don't know. I just feel like that shouldn't be happening because we should just have enough time for us to like consider everything like our business like fully and I think like a potential option um, I don't know if we already have presentations for the next like set of committee meetings because I know TJ and HRT meet on Monday I believe so that would be like a time that like I don't know two-thirds of the Commission is already available so like I don't believe HRT unless we have a presentation has any like super pressing business so we could just cancel that and have a special meeting next Monday yeah no, you don't, because it's virtual. Yeah. 
Yeah, um, I agree. I think like we're always either rushing things or not discussing things enough, which is also kind of rushing things. And you know, this meeting is like very, very, very long. Yeah. We still have things we didn't get done, and like a, a special meeting sounds like hard, and it'll be hard to schedule. But it's something that I I just can't imagine how we're going to get through the next meeting without yeah having some surplus that we need to handle before before that. I agree. I think our next meeting we would definitely like end up tabling stuff because there's no way we get through all of that before 9 p.m because that, that that next meeting is much more than what was on the agenda today so i'm just saying like we kind of have to do this so like would you be good with canceling hrt or just moving it around yeah i'm fine with that yeah okay great um what about tj what about are, are y'all next monday yeah yeah we're all no. Or like, do you have a meeting next Monday? Yeah, we do have a meeting on Monday. I don't think we have anything big planned. So you, we could that cancel. That I know of. Wait. Wait, next Monday. Yeah, 13th. Organizations coming in. Exactly. Like, it's virtual, so like, you know. Okay. Also, what like, it would, be? It would 5 p.m. probably. Yeah. So, um, because the rules are being changed by the city attorney week by week, we do not know the full legalities of whether or not it is allowed so we do need to consult with the clerk's office before giving you the go ahead okay so my my suggestion is let's make this tentative yes but let's staff talk to the city attorney tomorrow in the clerk's office and we can send like a full response uh to everyone tomorrow what mm -hmm. the outcome is just because uh yeah like if this w would be in person, we would have to give a two weeks notice to the public of change of location if we wouldn't be able to find a room that we usually use. But because it's virtual, um, I, I wouldn't want us to get in trouble with the Sunshine Task Force and like validly a Brown Act um, per se. Although, like, yes, um, our bylaws are different. The Sunshine Ordinance and the Brown Act overrules that. Is that, is that okay? Yeah, yeah, that sounds good. So, um, for next Monday? Not sure. Do we have, Alondra? Sorry, do we have any, like, important things for TJ next meeting? Or can we table, like, change the date? Um, I think we were just going to talk about BPPs. Mm -hmm. Can so. we, okay. Yeah. Then, could we, like, cancel that meeting to have a special meeting? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. If you guys could just let us know as soon as you hear back from them, that would be great. And then, yeah, once we will let you know immediately. How, how will I? How do I call one? Do I just like? I'm just like okay. I'm sending a calendar invite now. Yeah, I think be there. since it's in the minutes, I think that counts as like officially you are calling. Or do I have to be in a meeting to call one? Because you, I don't. You ask Adriana, but I think that if you were to, if you wanted to call one that was like not and you didn't want to do it at a meeting, you could also just like write a letter to Alondra that says I'm calling a meeting on X date. Okay, I'll do that then. Okay, because yeah. we well and wait until yeah. No, no, no. Oh no! Oh my god! Or you can just do it. Yeah, let's just do it. <laughs> just send it to me. <laughs> okay. Um, moving on to HRT, uh, Vice Chair Anish, are you going to be giving the report? I can give a short run over okay. or run through of what we went over. Thank you. Um, I think our last meeting we had a presentation from SFMTA on like their budget and how that works. And then 
we asked them some questions basically about how they're allocating their money and how we can help with that. Um, and then we went over our BPPs basically, I feel like for a good amount of time after that. And then we also went over the BART Clipper resolution that was read today. And then I think that was it. Uh, Chair Miller, if you want to add anything, I'm not sure if I missed something. No, I think, yeah, we pretty much talked about that. And um, did we talk about BPPs a little bit? But I don't know. I also remember um, the thing I was going to mention earlier uh, during my report was um, I think we're going to try to have staff. They're doing um, more work on the 29 improvement project or like 29 rapid. That has been like a long standing priority of the Youth Commission. So we'll probably try to get a presentation on that um, sometime either here or at the committee. So but we're aware and we're monitoring that. Great. Um, CEC, Chairs Loftus and Hum. Okay, Commissioner Hum, um, nothing major is going on on CEC, uh, just working on BPPs. I'll see you back. Great. Um, TJ, Chair Colleen. We had a presentation from the Human Rights Commission about their budget and policy priorities, and we discussed our BPPs. Okay, thank you. Um, LGBTQ plus task force? Um, nothing much. We've just been discussing BPPs like during our past two meetings. Okay. And then uh, staff report. Oh, are you calling for... Um, Item number 12, staff report? Yes, okay. please call item number 12. Cool. Um, okay, so I have a, a few things. I'll go really fast and I promise it won't take 15 minutes. Uh, so this, <laughs> thanks. Uh, for this Friday, we have our juvenile hall outing at 4.15 p.m. That's to administer COVID tests. Um, who is going? Raise your hand. Keep your hand raised. <clears throat> Actually, who's not going? I think that'll be way easier. Gabby, Tyrone, Chloe. Yeah, okay. What about virtual? Virtual, right, who's not going? Virtual. Yeah, I, I virtually. Anne, are you going? Commissioner Nish, are you going? Yes, I am going. Okay, Commissioner Hum? I should be able to. Uh, Commissioner M? Are you checking your calendar? Hello? Commissioner M, are you going on Friday to the juvenile said, hall outing? I said yes. I, w I should be able to. If not, I will. Oh, actually, I cannot. I will be leaving San Francisco on Friday. Okay. Thank you for letting me know. Um, okay. I, it's because I need to send them, like, a full list. Yeah. Yes. I, I completely understand. I have a okay. debate tournament in Claremont you're, you're, on Friday. You're good. Uh, it's an optional thing. Okay. Um, next thing is um, we finally finalized our uh, budget presentation day for the BOS for the Budget and Finance Committee, which is March. Budget and appropriations. Bud budget and appropriations. <laughs> Sorry, there's so many committees out there. Uh, March 22nd. Like so exec will be um, working on that presentation and maybe involving some other commissioners. That's up to their discretion. Trainings, raise of hands. Who's done them? Who hasn't done them? I'm the chair. Please. <laughs> wow. 
Sorry, I haven't done mine either. Um, <laughs> no, please. No, please. Some of them are actually kind of fun. It's like you have to stop the government from being hacked. Some of them are hard, like you have to stop the government from being hacked. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, but please, please, please get them done in like two weeks. I'll be checking in again just because I don't want the clerk's office telling me that I need to watch y'all take the trainings for y'all to like actually do them because like that's not cool for me to do um um recruitment time woo for 2023 2024 it's happening um so our next meeting we hopefully will have a first draft of the timeline and application for y'all's review um staff has been talking about doing an earlier recruitment time so pushing it like i think a month in advance so having it march 15th as the start time for applications um, so we can do further outreach. Um, yeah, so we'll be working with comms on that. Um, wanted to let you know that remote public comment is currently in limbo. Um, as of last week, we were told we no longer have to do remote public comment due to the mayor's memo, but since tomorrow, the BOS may be voting on uh, whether or not to keep remote public uh, comment, that may change. Um, so we'll see what happens with remote public comment. And um, we have in-person meetings indefinitely starting March 1st. Um, also, we have a podcast project, and everyone's going to get involved in it. Um, each committee will be hosting a podcast episode, um, and staff will be working with everyone, well, me, um, we'll be working <laughs> with, the, with the committee and commissioners if you want to host a segment in the podcast. Um, it could be from any topics. I know, Caden, you, Commissioner Miller, <laughs> transit. Um, yeah, also, um, we've been getting a lot of inquiries about Prop G. So, uh, Commissioner Pimentel um, is looking into doing a survey. Maybe the Full Reef Commission could do a uh, community listening session where youth are telling us what they would like to see uh, with Prop G funding in their schools. Um, we are also doing a great partnership with the young youth, young adults, and families committee of the BOS. Uh, so we'll be doing that. Uh, so much is going on, as you have heard, so please be patient with YC staff. And also, so many, so much more presentations are happening, but we don't just want y'all to listen to a lot of presentations. We also want y'all to do activities, go to more outings, go to events with different organizations and departments. So we'll be also scheduling that until the end of y'all's term. Thank you. Sorry, Joy. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> Ooh, spicy. Well, our director really feeling like we're unprepared on the <laughs> other side of staff. Um, but <laughs> the only update I have is that um, I'm also reaching out to different community organizations and they're talking about having different conveners. So. Um, I'll bring any updates relevant to CBOs, but again, if there's any other CBOs that you all want to invite for presentations or for BPPs on all that fun stuff, just let us know as usual. I actually do have reports. <laughs> so um, for the, these are the departments coming into um, 
the Youth Commission for this coming two months. Um, for February 21st, we will have the Human and Services Agency, Juvenile Probation Department, and the Board of Supervisor, her BOS Budget Committee Chair, um, Connie Chan. Um, for February 23rd, all at CEEC, um, Department of Elections. And then for March 6th, we have Department of Children, Youth, and Families, Department of Public Health, and um, CASA and SF Rising. And then for um, March 20th, we will have the Homelessness and Supportive Housing and Rec and Park. So um, if you do not hear any of these departments, either they have not um, responded or um, we have not invited them, and so please let me know. Um, if you are interested in the public defenders and um, the magic um, collective impact, um, that will happen this week um, from 1 to 4 p.m. There is a hybrid version and there is an online, uh, in-person version. That concludes my report. Oh, and just one fun fact is this is now our longest youth commission meeting ever. Yay! Yay! Mm -hmm. Yay! Party! Let's keep it that way. Yay! Great. Um, staff, can you please call, or is there any public comment on this item? No. Staff, can you please call item number 13? Item number 13 is announcements. Are there any community announcements? I think this Saturday is like the, the summer opportunities fair. Um, I have work, unfortunately, so I can't make it, but like I really encourage other people to go. There's also the... The opportunity fair. It was on the calendar invite, so I thought... If it's on my calendar, I might go. <laughs> I might. Do we have a table? We, we don't have a table I there. I thought we had a table. Like, I can't go, but... There was no request for a table. What? Oh, I thought... Okay, that's Is fine. It, it, no, are no, we sorry, table? sorry. I think there was, like, something lost in translation. Um, I sent it to Josh. And I thought... <laughs> sorry. No, 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 I'm putting the blame on myself because I thought I told you to do it, but it's, I, I take blame. I can reach out to them and, and get a table. I think it. it was just in my head that I talked to Josh about <laughs> it, like truly like being transparent right now. So I can figure it out if we can still get a table. I think it's fine if we don't have one, I'm like seeing table. that. Yeah, I, we should get a table. Well, are people going to be able to go? <laughs> I, I, think, I think we, we I will. I can go on Saturday. I'm a comms officer. Okay. If we can get a table, there's commissioners who will go. Okay, I'll let y'all know tomorrow. It's, it's okay. 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 No, no, no. We'll be there. Yeah. <laughs> Let's do this. Let's keep going. Okay. Other events? Yes. Um, the BOS District 10 office is doing a Black History Month reception and art gallery walk. Um, it is Wednesday, 3 to 6 p.m., so if you have time after school, please come by. It is going to be in person in City Hall. What's going on? Okay, are there any other community announcements? No.
Seeing none, staff, can you please call item number 14? Item number 14 is adjournment. This meeting is adjourned at 9.46 p.m. Good night. Yay!